Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the redirection portal this episode are... Hey, I'm Phil. And today, I'm going to be taking you to a dream world of monsters. Oh, hey, hey it's Paven. I'm back. <laughs> I don't have a pun. I'm so sorry. Well, I'll, I'll think of one later and we'll, we'll splice it in. <laughs> Put it in post. Uh, and I'm Aaron. And if I'm a bad Renee Zellweger uh, concert, then you could call me the end of Empire Records. In this episode, we cover the lore of Broken Ropes Kragnos. No, seriously, this time, did you guys hear that? The earth-shaking sound of Kragnos's hooves are heading this way, and he's got a bone to pick with anyone who's standing on the opposite side of any wall from him. You don't need a glimmering from Excelsis to know it's best to get out of his way. So let's see if anyone makes it out in time. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Uh, feeling pretty good. Um, we wrapped up Broken Realms. We did it. We made it to the end. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's not declare victory so soon. Let's we'll see who survives. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not. No spoilers, but yeah, we made it to the end. Uh, looking forward to a whole new world. AOS 3. Full of earthquake or earthquakes, man. I can't talk. Full of earthquakes. Um, or our earth. <laughs> yeah. But before we start talking about this here, Broken Realm Stories, I, I want to hear what you guys have been up to in, in the hobby. Let's let's uh, take take those listeners into our homes, into our lives and give them a little slice. Um, Paven, what have you been doing in the hobby recently? Oh, boy. Uh, just Curse City, all Curse City all the time. <laughs> that is a big bucket of minis. And I am... <sighs> battling yeah. my way through it i it's it's so good it's such a good set and uh i don't want to like complain about it but it's just such a backlog to get through before I, like i allow myself to do anything else uh i'm about 45 of 60 miniatures painted so i feel pretty proud of that but Oof, man, that is pretty good yeah. yeah i almost have everything painted to be able to play uh my first game with it <laughs> yeah yeah wait yeah all the tier tier uh zero hostels and uh uh, four heroes is my kind of initial goal, but that's like 83% of the box is, is just yeah. that number. So, uh, but I'm almost there. Right on. Cool. I, I, I expect your, your phone call any day now. Looking forward to playing with some beautifully painted models. Uh, Phil, what you've been doing? Yeah, I've been busy. Um, been painting some Seraphon and, uh, getting going on, so the the mortal realms received a dominion box uh and we have decided we're going to do yet another painting competition the blood knights seem to go pretty well so i've also been building some stormcast to get ready for that um and kicked off our uh underworlds league for some in-person gaming again uh at our local warhammer store so getting that rolling as well and Paven was there, but not for Underworlds. No, oh, well then, <laughs> and it hardly even counts. Um, and what have I been up to? Honestly, just still doing more Slanesh uh, assembly, which sounds like that's a bad move with the new points that have come out. Everybody's down on the Slanesh. <laughs> um, but I finally finished the whatever it's called uh with all the wheels and so now i'm yeah. just doing an even less exciting uh series of models which are the um hell striders right the the mortal folks the old mortals yeah the that ride stuff. on the yeah things. if you thought doing a bunch of bladed wheels was uh, tedious and monotonous try doing uh, a whole bunch of whips. whips where if you look at them <laughs> too hard uh or if you even say the if you whisper the word whip 
um, they snap in half. And so that's uh, where my hobby uh, frustration is coming. Uh, <laughs> uh, but furthermore, another thing that I've been working on, which is kind of spur of the moment and only half planned, which will become evident very soon, is that we, speaking of Dominion boxes, Phil, uh, we on the Mortal Realms are actually going to be are giving a more a Dominion box away. Uh, we're sharing Dominion with the townspeople. Um, yeah, and so we're running a giveaway currently. And I did not plan. I should have taken better notes. I got, and this is all off the cuff. I just got to remember all the details about it. So uh, Dominion box given away. Uh, it's a contest that we're running um, for only folks in the U.S. and Canada, just because it's just it's a small scope. It's easy to ship to these places. Um, and uh, to enter, you, there's a, a link that I'll put in the show notes. Um, you can get a bunch of different entries by doing a bunch of different social related things, which is to say you can follow us on Twitter or re- retweet one of these tweets or uh, head to our Facebook page or go join our Discord server, which these are all things you should have already done. And if you have, you get entries for each one of these things um, into this giveaway. It's going to run for a few weeks. Uh, I just looked up the date, but I forget when it's going to end. July... Sunday, so the 11th, 11th. Uh, and we will pick one winner to give this sweet A box away. Um, so uh, look for the link in the show notes um, to enter yourself. Uh, many will enter, few will win, uh, no purchase is necessary, etc., etc. I don't know what the rules are. Um, I hope no one sues me. So um, that has been a fun little project. That <laughs> I did a little spur of the moment, as you can tell. But that's about what I've been working on. You guys have any other things you want to talk about before we get to it? No, I don't think so. I think cool. I think we're ready to uh, stampede our way through this book. All right. Well, forever hold your peace. Uh, Paul's not here to do the story phase, so I'm going to have to say it. I'm going to do my best Paul voice. The story phase. Now, if that was an Eric, this is what that was. Um, <laughs> it was. Story, it was definitely Eric. Yeah. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. Um, you guys remember Eric? Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, so let's do this here story phase. I think what we've been doing with the Broken Realms episodes is we've been trying to set the stage and give folks a little bit of a uh, where are we now? What's happened recently? important events that have occurred that are going to inform the plot of this here story. Um, do you guys have any things that come to mind that you think the listeners ought to know ahead of time before we lead into this Broken Realms tale? Well, I think that Broken Realms Marathi is probably the most important to be up on for this book because we definitely see Marathi come in in this story and definitely flouting that new god power you know as you do and yeah i mean who wouldn't um and and the uh the newborn um they are also you know they're going to make an appearance here so if you're not aware of them and what what took place transpired to bring about their uh birth you should probably head on back and listen to the episode about uh, Marathi. Use that little back button of yours and uh, <laughs> skip a few episodes back. Paven, you got any thoughts on things to catch folks up on? Yeah, I, I don't know when we want to do this, but we usually have a long conversation about when does this book take place. Oh, yeah, we can do it. Uh, it's, a, it's a Mortal Realms tradition. Is a when are we? 
but uh, I think this is solidly after all the other books. Yep. Yeah. All three. I, I don't think... I don't know, like I don't know, like rec- like how who are we talking to when we're trying to describe like what is going on in these books? Like, like if, if you know nothing, uh, just like hold on and get ready for a wild ride because there's nothing <laughs> we can tell you now that's going to give you enough context. Um, but yeah, uh, quickly catching people up. Yeah, Marathi's a new god, um, and Teclas killed Nagash. Well, let's let's be very clear here. Yeah. He probably is not dead. We we Well, he was already dead. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, he's always dead. I get but how do you kill some how do you kill that? He's <laughs> already dead. Yeah, no, <laughs> I can kill that which has no life. Sure. Um, yeah. Either way. Uh, yeah, yes, no, he's no. I mean early broken. Yeah, yeah. And Nagash is um yeah, sorry for speaking so loosely with the uh, <laughs> truth of the canon. Uh, yeah, Nash, Nagash has already appeared in short stories since his death. Um, but he's like, you know, he's old, crazy Nagash again uh, from like the beginning of Age of Sigmar, which is, I think, best version of Nagash. Oh, Nagash. Like, oh, just like <laughs> Nagash just like up to antics and then like all of the Mortarks just like, you know, pinching their eyes uh, while they try to like, you know, rule the empire. Um but boy, did I get off topic. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. good. I mean, I guess, f- funny enough, I don't know. Hmm. So, so obviously, Bellacore was the book just before this, but I think maybe it's the least impactful. I was just trying to think if I, could, if I could draw a single connection from, from that book to this book. And with the exception of like the very obvious thing at the end, I couldn't really come up with one. I think at one point. Uh, they, they, they. Like 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 in everything else, they uh, foreshadow the ex- the siege of Excelsis in that book as well. Uh, when uh, Gardas talks to uh, Croak, he like has a vision of right. what's happening. I mean, uh, that, it was some pretty heavy-handed foreshadowing, to be sure. I mean, we've been foreshadowing Excelsis for I don't know two editions. Now. Yeah, a very long time. I, yeah. I mean, I wish I would have had the <laughs> forethought to like go back and try and find the first instance of like where they'd reference like uh, Gordrak heading towards Excelsis because it was a ways back. Um, yeah, maybe, uh, Aaron, I don't know if you want to like this idea or we should cut this from the podcast, but maybe it's a Patreon goal that we start doing like show research. Uh, <laughs> so get, to a certain, get to a certain level and then I promise I'll start looking. So we're going to try. We're going to really start trying. Get an intern in here. I bet you Will would do it. Uh, uh <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and I, I think also beyond the foreshadowing with Gardas, I think also just generally the Hollowed Knights stuff, like just a lot of the stuff that sort of happened around them and sort of their dealing with Stormcast stuff and sort of letting people know about like, hey, we, we're sort of on the inside track here because we talked to Croak. Um, probably it applies a bit, but... Um, yeah, at some point in this book, I think someone says the effect of, oh, we got to get a hold of Gardas because we know that he had talked to Croak, which then what happened in Bellacor. So, yeah, that makes sense. All right. But basically, I think uh, the other more uh, the other Broken Realms books are the the things you would need to read if you want to be fully caught up um, to, to this here story. 
I guess if you really want to be caught up, you've got to go back and read Wrath of the Ever Chosen too. But oh, true. Sure. Well, and if and you really want to, <laughs> the old world is canon, so you got to read all the old stuff too. Yeah, there's some questions yeah. later about the old world that I am ill-equipped to answer. Oh, I'm not looking forward to those. Um, but we will get there when we get there. All right. So uh, everybody's experts on the mortal realms up until this point, uh, mm. they know as much as we know. Um, let's start at the beginning. Oh, actually. The reason Very it's worth noting, start. yeah, well, it is a good place to start. Uh, it's worth again bringing back up that the Nagash has been laid low because because of that. If death is whatever the opposite of ascendant is descendant, hmm? um, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't mm. sound right. But I don't know enough about her to refute it. I think it's uh, unscendant. Yeah, unscendant. That sounds yeah, uh, de- dead scendant. Um, <laughs> uh, what if if that's on the the downswing? Then what's on the upswing? Must be life. Hey, let's jump right into the, yeah. the the beginning, which is the it's a section called the Right of Life, all about um, Alariel, the Ever Queen, uh, kicking some beast men butt, which is what what they're here for. Does anybody want to talk about this? So yeah, curtain up. I guess where we yeah, Aaron mentions the end of Broken Realms Techless, so two books ago, Nagash is laid low. Um, or, uh, so Alariel, the Ever Queen, um, goddess of the realm of life. Uh, we, we had a lot of uh, cryptic conversations with Teclas in that book about, uh, you know, what will happen when, you know, if you force kind of the cycle to turn. Uh, I think she has a philosophy that's very cyclical. Okay, so, but it's turning now, and she's also kind of forcing things. And so where Curtain goes up, all of the events that have happened, chaos is a little bit on the back foot. The energies of death are receding. Uh, the Everqueen makes her move and tries to retake this place. And right now it's overrun by Beastmen. And um, they, you know, they they're just gross and they're ruining it. And they have a, a, a magical artifact, which is called the dirge horn, which is a really cool uh, instrument uh, that sings the song to end uh, to end the empires. And uh, they, they apparently had been broken by the uh, hollowed knights at some point. And uh, the Nurgle had, uh, you know, put it back together and then filled it with pus uh, to make it rebuild it grossly. Um, and at the same time, they're fighting this battle. So this big Sylvaneth classic Warhammer, Sylvaneth versus Beastmen battle. Um, and they're also like this musical battle happening at the same time where uh, yeah. the Everqueen and the Sylvaneth are like singing, singing a song, this kind of life song that is driving the Beastmen into a rage. And the Beastmen are, are kind of playing their dirge horn, this, this horrible artifact, um, to kind of counter that in a sonic type of way. Um and it seems battle of the bands is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a real battle <laughs> of the bands. Uh, and uh, so there's a you know there's a big fight. You know they they're cutting each other to pieces, and every Sylvaneth that uh, dies is kind of like going towards this musical ritual that the Everqueen is uh, enacting. And slowly but surely, um, this tree that had been knocked over and despoiled, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago during the uh, opening salvos of the Age of Sigmar. It's called the the Oak of Ages Past. I like how uh, you just called it some tree, like the most important tree of all trees. Yeah, it's and just, it, it's just and, some tree. And it was and it was actually a tree that was it, when the world exploded in the 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 old. This was this was a tree that used to be at the center of the Wood Elf realm in the world that was. And when yeah. the world exploded, this hunk of wood just kind of flew through space until it, uh, I guess, landed in Gyran. I don't know yeah. if that's exactly what happened, but that's what I picked. No, that's exactly right. The Oak of Ages, surviving a surviving remnant of the world that was, drifted through the etheric void for eons until it came to Gyran. 
Yeah, yep. so it's a big piece of wood. Drift, uh, drift, I mean, drift literally driftwood. Yeah. And it lands there. <laughs> and they loved it, but then it got ruined again by Nurgle and Chaos. But slowly, okay, so fast forward to the present day. Slowly, they're singing this song. Sylvaneth are dying. Their blood and souls are getting sucked up by the roots of this ancient uh, tree. And it starts to, oh, like, just uh, right itself in a kind of weird way. Um, and, and, uh, the ever queen is like, Oh my God, it's working. And we're like, of course it's working. She's like a God, you know? And so she's like, probably like, Oh my, Oh my knee, it's working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. Um, and so the, the tree stands back up. Uh, they kill all the beast men. Uh, they smash the horn. Um, and like when the tree stands up, like kind of new Sylvanas spring up and that's where we get the, um, what are they called? The pipe guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know the pipe guys uh the war song revenants there it thank is. you the war song revenants who are like new baby sylvaneth but they seem very wise and they spring forth out of the realm to spread the spirit song um and like as part of this ritual uh the the ever queen like sends out a wave of life so all over the realms like it like kind of like how there's a necroquake there's kind of like a life uh tsunami that, that similarly affects things i don't think it's as drastic and as like disruptive as the necroquake was but like there is like yeah. magical stuff happening everywhere like in actually like fire sprit becomes sentient in uh i don't have another good example that i remember <laughs> but in good. gur like gur is already like really agitated and animalistic and sentient so like things really start to get wild over there and that's kind of where the stage is set um, and kind of what kicks everything into motion uh, from here. Another good example is eyes opened amidst Ogu's mists, sinister and cruel. So apparently, I don't know if the mists themselves are sentient or what have you, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the song of life is literally waking the realms, uh, which <laughs> if you thought they were dangerous before... <laughs> just wait and when you say that we we don't know if it was maybe as drastic as the necroquake i we might not be in a position to know if it was as drastic as the necroquake like it just sort of happened and maybe it'll take a hot second for us to really know the ramifications and so yeah i'm not hopeful but there's a chance that like maybe it will be as you know monumental as uh, the necroquake was I, th I think that's a really good point uh we we don't know the full ramifications it certainly has some big effects in this book and um, but I, I don't know if, if this age of Sigmar is going to be defined by the 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 life quake, uh, the <laughs> same way that uh, the last was defined by the necroquake. There's there's one more thing I want to talk about, and I don't know if you guys had this in the notes. Was um, uh, what uh, after uh, uh, the the ritual's over and the, the beastmen are purged and kind of a full forest blooms in this, um, this magical place uh, through the, the, the miracles of the Everqueen. Uh, she mutters two words from long ago, uh, which are Athaloran. But Athaloran is, is, uh, is the ancient homeland of the wood elves, fan favorite wood elves. I know um, me and Aaron are also big, big wood elf fans uh, from back in the day. And so what does that mean? I like we have the Oak of Ages, we got Athaloran, we have the Ever Queen. Does that mean Kurnothi incoming? That, yeah. Does that mean Walnut? You heard it uh, here first, folks. I, sh I sure do hope so. Um, I've, I'm sure I've been on. I'm sure I've been recorded 
saying that I wish they would stop bringing so much stuff from the old world and instead work on just new things. Uh, that only applied to stuff that I wasn't interested in. But as soon as they start bringing stuff from the old world that I'm like that I'm into, <laughs> then, then I'm like all for it and I, I'm super gung, gung ho about it. So uh, all Athelorn all the time, please. Honestly, satyr, dryad, and uh, centaur elves. I, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to not find that appealing. So if they want to do that. I mean, people are probably going to throw money at them. Yeah. So unanimous on this here podcast, everybody. Um, we're all for but of, it. Yeah. But of course, we're probably not. We're probably not <laughs> no. right. <laughs> the, uh, those two Karnathi releases are the only uh, Karnathi that we'll ever see. Cool. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Um, yeah. yeah, so much for the prologue. Light. <laughs> hey, no, it's good. I mean, that that is that is the prologue. That's how the book starts. Now we actually get into the book proper. Uh, part yeah. one part uno um and it starts actually much of the book not all of it i guess but much of it takes place in excelsis i think we've we've mentioned it we've pointed to it uh, i've missed it so uh and uh the section this part one starts with a fun uh map however i think it's a, a map of girl that we've seen before it's the one of the cool ones it's got like the footprints like the gardens marching across um but we're honing in we're most interested in sort of the uh coast of tusks region which is where excelsis is yeah um, and Excelsis is not in a good way. They are on what some might say is the brink of destruction. And I would mm. say that because that's the name of the section. Um, and so it, it gives us a little bit of background on what's happened relatively recently in, in Excelsis. And it's basically sums up the plot of um, a novella that came out years and years ago uh, called City of Secrets, written by Nick Horth. And so it talks about how it's a, it's a city that's sort of built up around the Spear of Malice, which is the part of the old world where they could chip off little chips of it and they use those as like uh ways to um foster like or foster uh like predictions and prophecies and stuff like that so that's kind of yeah. what this this city's spiel is but because of that since it's a place of prophecy and knowledge and secrets and stuff like that uh zinch um had gotten his little claws into it and some of his followers were start, started an insurrection there so this actually was a book that came out uh when the first disciples of zinch book came out so i want to say 2017 maybe maybe even 2016 i'm not sure but it's one of the actually first mortal realms episodes i ever did um yeah it was a while ago yeah so it's it's pretty neat and it's at least from my perspective noteworthy in that it's one of the few times that one of these um studio books has ever referenced the plot of a novel like retroactively after the fact um man i wish paul was here because i'm sure he'd have a lot to say about it but um it's rare that the studio and black library books ever intersect unless like they intentionally are intersecting. Like it's like the dominion book is going to come out and it's probably going to, you know, mirror very closely as yeah. the what's going on in dominion. But the fact that this is a, a studio book that's actually calling to mind this old black library story is it, it almost never happens. And so uh, that's super interesting uh, to quote Paul. Uh, you guys can really judge that. And second of all, like, I wonder if this is a sign that maybe they'll start doing that more often. Now, Oh, guys, I'm just blabbering on here, but it's worth noting that Nick Horth, if I understand correctly, is like a studio writer as well. And he had, uh, he's the one who's written, written, wrote the novel. So maybe that's why, like, he's got a special end. And so they, they're able to reference the plots of his stories. Makes sense. Um, or maybe these characters are just so ingrained in the story of Excelsis. Like, it's hard to 
talk about it without including that story. I don't know. I'd be curious to know what's going through their heads as to why they chose this as the time where they're going to start to pluck details from a novel um, or a novella, I think is actually, it was shorter. Um, but it's a very cool situation to find ourselves in. I hope they do it more often. Um, well, you ring them up and you get an interview and you get your answers. Sure. Guys, I can barely talk to you people who I know relatively <laughs> well. I definitely can't talk to strangers. Um, one final thought, and this will be me eating crow a little bit, but there's been plenty of times where some of my co-hosts or other people have, have posited, oh, what if this new thing that's coming is going to be this obscure character from these old novels? And I always say, well, no, the studio books are ne never pulled from novel. Like it, <laughs> that never happens. It's never going to happen. Now, the fact that it has means that, oh, oh no, no, I have to reevaluate all my predictions uh, that Every, occurred previously. Your whole life. Yeah, and, and also <laughs> my whole life um, from birth till now. So you're, you're, so they just do it. It's just a one page we're really talking about here uh, where they, they recap it. Uh, but they, you, you're talking about like they make an explicit reference to Callus and Toll. Yep. Like they say their names on these pages. Yep. Is that yep. like, yeah. And so like the, they mentioned uh, Vermeer, I think is the bad guy's name. And so he's the one who led the insurrection in, uh, in that city of secrets book. And then, Jumping ahead a little bit, they bring up Arika Zenth, who is also a character from the series. So she's the Scourge Privateer that comes into play a little later as well. Yeah. So a couple, couple, couple uh, name drops in this year one. It does make me wonder, since there's been so much stuff through the lore over many years about Excelsis, I wonder how long ago they like built out the skeleton of the plot line and they were saying like, here's the end point we need to get there like it, it just feels like it can't be a coincidence that they had all these different plot lines that all lead to excelsis for it to just be like oh hey i guess we've mentioned this place like 10 plus times maybe we should actually like do stuff there for the next edition um i think it's i think it's a little bit of both I, I, my understanding of the way you, you write settings like this is that you leave a lot of like open doors for yourself and a lot of like breadcrumbs that if you if the the ip or the writer wants to expand in that direction they totally can and there's always to grow but it's you know there's a in Warhammer and a lot of other uh, kind of settings, there's always like these dangling threads that don't get resolved uh, from like, it may be yeah, never. That's true. Resolved. Very true. Um, but yeah, what, what are we talking about here? This is Kragnos. What's happening in Excel? Hey, this is ex important stuff for understanding <laughs> Excelsis. One other thing, and this isn't a very concrete point, maybe I, in retrospect we'll delete it, in that I don't know how long ago, but it was years ago. I was talking about like, oh, I wish I knew how far back the first thread of Excelsis getting destroyed. If I understand correctly, in some interview or something, in some panel that they were doing, one of the studio writers uh, had mentioned, oh, something, something Excelsis. Oh, yeah, but Excelsis is destroyed, isn't it? And this was yeah, many yeah. years ago. Before, way before any knowledge of excelsis it, it, being destroyed it was worse than that he said is excel is like oh oh wait did that not happen yet is what, yeah. is what he is what he had <laughs> <up> saying <laughs> yeah he yeah, yeah. made it very intentional that like oops there's a thing i just let out that i wasn't supposed to say which is yeah. funny 
Yeah, um, yeah. I love it. Good recovery there. <laughs> Nailed it. it. <laughs> Back to the city of Excelsis. Uh, so they've had some historical trouble with Zinch, right? And so there was a cult. Right. It rose up. It did a lot of destruction. They did some damage. Yeah. And so it was eventually put down by the aid of Callus and Toll and, and you know, the city's defenders and so on and so forth. And after uh, the Zinch forces were routed, um, that section of where they were, you know, they were fostering the Zinchian cult um, was basically quarantined, uh, isolated, and just like mercilessly destroyed by the Knights Excelsior. Yeah, the, the Stormhost yeah. Knights Excelsior led by another character um, that has come up in multiple places is this White Reaper. And so it's the Lord Veritant there. Um, and he is a no-nonsense, uh, chaos-hating um, Stormcast. And so yeah. with him at the head, head, they really put a lot of the city to the sword um, very brutally, and, and some might say over the top. And that also is sort of a lasting legacy here in Excelsis is that wound is still sort of fresh. Um, the, the damage that Zinch did, but then again, the damage that the Stormcast did in response to um, what was going on with the Zinch cult. Yeah, yeah and uh, interestingly enough, I think that purge, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is breaks one of the chains of Slanesh. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was a couple of purges across the cities of Sigmar, and this was one of them. Um, I think there was a Vindicarum one at some point too, but it was the fact that like the a city's defenders were killing innocent people. And so like, since that's a, an anathema or something. It's excess. Um, yeah. Uh, it uh, snapped one of Zinch's changes. I looked, or not Zinch, um, Slanesh's chains. I looked that up earlier today. Yeah. So a lot of context yeah. in this here town. And, and one thing, one cool thing, I think you, you skipped over pretty quickly, but I want to talk about is that they didn't like, purge the the corrupted corridors or, or neighborhoods in excelsis they just quarantined them yeah. so they just yeah. boarded them up and there's these weird twisted corrupted places within the borders of excelsis um and they just they kind of just like well that's you just don't go there that's the bad, the bad yeah, yeah yeah and they just kind of like go about their business i think it, I, I guess that gives the cool texture to that city I think they even make mention in this book that it's literally walled in. Like they built tests, like city walls inside the city to block this area off because it's full of wild magic and endless spells that are destroying everything. And they don't want any of that nasty zinchness getting out. So nasty. Freak nasty. Freaky nasty. And that kind of leads us into the next section with the tumult arcana magic going crazy um and so in response to the crazy magic uh we we're introduced to a group of sigmarite devout who go by the name the nullstone brotherhood they've basically taken it upon themselves to take up the same mantle as the knights excelsior to just say you know magic obviously leads to zinch so therefore all magic needs to be purged um and they are led by a priest by the name of odo mulgan who is uh going to be featured throughout here for a little while and he he leads these significant uh i don't know uh what would you call them um uh witch hunts yeah, which hunts. Yeah, I mean, literally, right? Uh, so they're, you know, hunting out anyone who uses magic and persecuting them. And uh, they, 
I'm it's trying to remember. Street. It's terrible. Yeah, I mean it is yeah. it is pretty and, awful. Um and and they I'm trying to remember though, like are they they are they like openingly murdering people in the streets or are they uh, you're, just you're right, people? right. They kind of do it, they kind of disappear, folks. Uh yeah. really start and they really start to target the, the elven population for elves known yeah. affinity of to magic. Yep. Um and so yeah, there starts to become some racial tensions in the city as elves start to disappear and or elves start to uh, have uh, time, you know, uh, vengeance and retribution against the, these human folks. Yeah. I mean, the Nellstone Brotherhood is so prolific in their sort of stating how elves all use magic and are therefore evil that they turn basically the entire city against the elven population in the city um, to the point that elves start to leave Excelsis. Um, I might be jumping ahead a little bit there. No, but. I think we're heading that direction. Like it's, it's, it's an escalation, right? They start yeah. with their, you, your street corner, like uh, prophets and like soothsayers. And then you start going after wizards. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, all wizards or all elves are basically wizards. So we're going to go after those elves. We're going to maybe chase them out of town. They don't want to leave. So now I'm going to start killing them in town. Um, but then of course the elves aren't helpless, right? Like mm-hmm. think, think of the, the, the city with the population of elves here, they're going to fight back. And so like then, the, the scourge privateers are fairly underhanded and like sneaking. So they're, they're doing secret like assassinations in the streets as well. So it's very much a guerrilla kind of like a gang warfare type situation. Um, but it just happens to be that the, the elves are, I think outnumbered is maybe what their weakness is. And they just, they take, they decided to take their ball and go home wherever that is. Especially there's some really bad, 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 bad really tough dude elves in the scourge privateers have a big presence and so those are the elven pirates and uh, privateers that hunt monsters and stuff and it says here like um you know it, people that try to mess with those elves like while they're on shore leave like often those humans will end up like flayed and like on the city walls as warnings to um you know don't don't mess with the the sailors um but you know that just escalates tensions worse yeah and like like aaron said like this is like a really important strategic asset the city has, which is this huge pirate uh, privateer uh, force. And they just sail away. They're just like, ah, it's not worth it. And they leave. Yeah, no, they're, they're done with, they were done with all the crap they're having to deal with. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're just sailing out of town. Sure. Things end up getting so bad, right? That like the grand conclave, which I think every city of Sigmar has is this big conclave has to step in. And so they, they like chide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's his fa- the Odo, Odo. Uh, Morgan? Yeah, Odo Morgan. The document like, cut this out, and he and he said, "Oh, cool. oh sure, oh sure, my bad. Okay, yeah, well, of course." And then all they do is just move their activities a little underground, and it's like they get more yeah. sneaky about it. Maybe they're not become, killing people on the street corners, but like this is where they really start like kidnapping like the elves. So it's less yeah. slitting throats and more like disappearing them, never to be seen again. Um, so in this section, they make reference to the fact that they believe that mirrors were deemed unnatural gateways to the demonic and were confiscated en masse. Um, and so we know that they're collecting mirrors. We know that they're like secreting away elves to, and, and like you said, once their actions were deemed like too extreme, they did start to, uh, carry out all these actions within the walled off portions of the city. So they're in there, they've got all their mirrors. I don't know that 
I don't know that we find out. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. I think we jump ahead. We also have two characters that we haven't talked about that are investigating this mystery. Yeah, that's that's not talking about. That's quite a bit later, but yes, there are two important characters who are investigating what's going on. Do we want to just mention them now? Since (laughs) yeah, well, they are introduced. They're they're named in this section. It's just maybe that we don't talk about their investigation as much, right? But um, sure. Yep. Alongside with these, this uh, rising tension in the city, um, Excelsis is known for like the prophecies that you can sort of glean from the glimmerings from the Spear of Malice. And there starts to be sort of a unifying, consistent, like prophetic vision that a lot of folks, well, maybe not completely unifying, but people are getting a lot of doom and gloom out of their prophecies here in town, talking about how like the city is on the brink of destruction, yeah. enemies uh, within and without, and what's going to happen. And so because of these prophecies, um, and the fact that it's an innately like magical city, there is a, um, uh, there is a presence of the order of Azir and specifically as far as we're concerned, um, there are two witch hunters here who I, if I understand correctly, spend a lot of their time hunting endless spells, but, um, they're also aware of sort of the growing unrest here in the city. And, um, it's a, it's a father and daughter, a duo, um, the Vendensts, uh, Doralia and I didn't write it down. Galen, I think, is the dead. Um, uh, that sounds right. Yeah. And so for one reason or another, they decide that, you know what, we got to get to the truth of what's like what's occurring here. We're, it's Again, it's it's a rising dread here in this city. Who can we turn to? Um, if Because we're not getting sort of consistent answers from the, the, the populace. Um, who can we turn to to like glean uh, more information about the, the the rising problems here in this town. I know. Let's get a hold of the local uh, Seraphon Temple and see what they have yeah. to say. And maybe let's let's cut through the BS and maybe get some real answers here. And yeah. so that is what they do. They head off to the temples there somewhere, um, and the Vendens head that direction. Uh, Duralia he- heads up the temple, the Ziggurat stairs, but her dad like is is a attacked quote unquote by a bout of breathlessness and he's not able to follow her in and she heads into the the, the ziggurat uh i don't want to say yeah. never to be seen again but for a stretch and we sort of just leave her there as we we hop scenes um a little bit later mm-hmm. when in doubt turn to the seraphon well I'd, and and then still be in doubt after you turn into this you're not gonna well, learn that's probably true because uh, they they don't really talk and so uh they get maybe a more clear vision or uh, more clear answers. And I think I'd maybe had jumped ahead a little bit, but uh, they speak to a skink priest who basically tells them or shows her, or I forget exactly how it is through vision or through cryptic answers tells her that they're, the city is caught between enemies um, within mm-hmm. and without. And um, the, the city's in grave danger and they need to pull together, get their act together if they hope to survive. And Duralia takes this, um, information and decides all right well i've got i've got maybe a more clear direction or you know clear answers from clearer answers from uh the seraphon but what what should we do like what what can we do with this information and so if you live in a city that has a strong stormcast contingent maybe your next stop is to check with them and so she and her father uh link up with that white reaper that we were kind of talking to about before mm-hmm. the the uh, very intense, uh, fin- I mean, some might say fanatical, um, but also like stern and dour uh, Lord Veriton of the Knights Excelsior. And so um, they 
try and convince them, I guess, of, of the, of the threats that the city is under. And so he's already like always consistently uh, got an eye out for, you know, any sort of enemies or any sort of danger to the city. He's always worried about the, the orcs on the, on the outside and the forces of chaos um, that are always, you know, got their greedy little eyes on, uh, on Excelsis because of how important the city is. Um, but the fact that, you know, there's this, um, cult that again growing on the inside he's a little bit blind to and also he doesn't necessarily know the th- the external destruction threats that are amassing outside and so he's caught a little unaware with uh or maybe he's a little overwhelmed with all the potential problems that the city is facing and then we kind of skipped over this threat or thread but it turns out the slaneshi cult that has been growing well i guess we don't know it's a slaneshi cult but the the the, the um no, bro- no Stone Brotherhood uh, has been doing a lot of their actions under the uh, pretense that he's signed off on it, like that they are in league yeah. with yep. uh, the White Reaper and that they have a ser- shared goals. And so when they, they, the witch hunters, tell the White Reaper that, you know, these folks have been doing a lot of this stuff in, in your name, he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never even talked mm-hmm. to this guy. I mean, I don't know the first thing about this dude. And so it really comes clear that uh, things have kind of gotten a little out of, out of his hands. Um, and um, he really needs to refocus up on the, the the issues that are, you know, plaguing the city currently right now. Can I just say, like, this is like a pretty good cover for the Nullstone Brotherhood. And he's like, hey, we're purging these people like the White Reaper said we should. And, the, and everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, that, that tracks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, we totally believe that. The White Reaper purged my brother just the other day. <laughs> I get that. I believe it. I, I think it's made, I mean, it's not super important to the story, but I do think that it's interesting for character building that this is also a, a sequence where we see a more human side to a stormcast, even one as intense as this guy who just goes by the White Reaper, like he he has no other name that we but are. I think aware he of. does. He does have a name later in the book, but I oh, make okay. it a point to never use it because the never, White Reaper is no, cooler. Always, always the White Reaper. But like, it talks about how his face is very weather worn, and that like he sits like with his shoulders slumped, and is just like obviously and visibly just tired from having to always deal with all these problems uh, that his city is always under threat. Um, It's actually a good point. And maybe one of the highlights of the book for me is that they don't normally go this direction with these characters. And like mm -hmm. you, you think, you know, for a guy who reads a lot of AOS lore and this name comes up quite a, well, not quite a bit, but every once in a while, I thought I knew this guy. Uh, and I think they made it a point to call out the fact that, no, you don't necessarily know everything. He, he's, he's got a couple other facets than hates chaos, likes killing innocent people. Um, there's more <laughs> to him than that. Uh, and it definitely made me, I was under the impression that you weren't supposed to like him before. And it made me like him a little bit more now to know that like this stuff really weighs on him and it's not easy and he's just doing what he thinks he has to, which is, I mean, that's, that's not always the case for Stormcast or, or what could be a one dimensional character normally. So Games Workshop has got, gotten a lot better at writing Stormcast. I think the earlier Age of Sigmar fiction uh, struggled with some like a uh, one dimensionality, two dimensionality of the Stormcast. And I think they've gotten a lot, they figured out how to make them a lot more nuanced and play with our expectations a bit and like kind of understand the tragedy better of what the what like being a stormcast is like and like being exhausted being like an exhausted dad in charge of a city feels very stormcast to me 
just like, oh God, what is it this time? It's like, oh, like, <laughs> like that now, oh, like, and he like, like gets, gets his like big, like, you know, head chopping axe and like thuds out the door. Like, and then, you know, and then you kill a bunch of innocent people. And yeah, just, just like father. <laughs> I get yeah. Well, you gotta make an omelet somehow, right? <laughs> How do you get the rest of the kids to behave? I don't know why I'm on yeah. this guy's I know this guy's terrible, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I like the. I felt like his characterization was a surprise. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of surprises, uh, what who's who's uh, what what surprise uh, jumps out? I think jumps out is maybe not the term for it. Uh, no, literally, they jump out. <laughs> uh, so right in the middle of the in the middle of this revolution and a classic like movie move, right. Where like the, some, some twist has been revealed and you're like, Oh man, what are we going to do with this? Oh, Oh God, no. Uh, uh, The sirens are on or, you know, the the baddies are here. Uh, And who expected this cave and not me. Um, Except for the fact that they were one of the few armies left that hasn't been touched in the broken realm. So I figured the Skaven were coming eventually. Except Uh, they've been in every single book. (laughs) Actually, that's true. They just never had any like significant rules or anything like that. Strike that. They never got a battalion yet. Yeah, that's more what I more yeah. what I meant. Um, but they come streaming out of the gutters and the manhole covers. I don't know. Do cities have manhole covers in Age of Sigmar? I, um, I think they described that. Yes, they're coming out of the sewers. And what are they called sig hole covers. Sig holes. That yeah, makes sense. Sure. And that Duarte there were hole covers. gnaw holes inside the sewers. Yeah. And so they're just spilling out by the thousands. Yep. As they do. Um, so they uh, strike the city, overwhelming force. Nobody's uh, prepared for it. Um, it's a it's a force that's led by a warlock bombardier uh, named Ratichak. Um, and uh, he's all about like flames and fires and explosions, which makes sense. He becomes a bombardier and that adds up. Um, and uh, it's it's a very, if I, if I remember correctly, it's a lot of... Um, like scryer like type yep. skaven right specifically i think you got a lot of um very storm, much so what are they called the big guys storm verm well, the storm vermin are the elite the little guys storm fiends storm fiends yep and and so on and so forth a lot of engines of destruction um and yep. they um catch the city unaware and uh it, they do incredible damage very quickly uh to the city which is then scrambling to sort of respond to this threat which is it wasn't even on the list of things i was naming before yeah no one one thought this was coming um and i've been holding off bringing up this reveal but it happens pretty quickly that we we learn that this isn't a random skaven attack but rather uh the ratichak has been bribed or coerced or tricked or what have you uh into attacking this city at the you know the predetermined time um for reasons that i don't think we know at this point but the point is is that someone's uh someone's pulling his strings so to speak and um if that if he can just you know uh, burn you know some part of the city down he'll he'll be rewarded but honestly as far as this guy's concerned just the, the act of burning the city isn't is enough for him and if he burns himself up with it then you know so be it and and i think so that this is basically in one of these little subtexts and it's actually pretty interesting and they talk about how this voice in uh, uh some warp fire that he is dealing with um talks to him and basically tells him like sort of eggs him on to be even more of a pyromaniac than he already was. Um, and I don't remember exactly how it comes about, but somehow through his discussions with this fire, he like 
like he's looking into the flames and the flames are reflected in his eyes. And after this, he then, anytime you look at him, he always has the reflection of fire in his eyes. And I just thought that was a really cool little detail that like he's somehow been corrupted in this like pyromaniac ways. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool that whenever like, I don't know, the cast factions like interact or corrupt each other. Like usually they're, they're so, they have such blunt interactions, which is like battle. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to see like a Skaven be corrupted by a like Slaneshi demon. Um, when it is like it feels natural, I, I guess Skaven can be corrupted in any direction in the Chaos Pantheon, pretty pretty simply. Um, like they have, yeah. they're all they're all terrible all the time. But I, I thought this was a very interesting like um, uh, interaction between two factions in a way that we don't usually see them interact. And so I thought that was, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was more of like the obsession kind of part of Slanesh. Like, oh, this right. guy totally had the the spark. Uh, no pun intended. Um, of, <laughs> of like of, of of obsession that could easily. I mean, he was already obsessed, but like that was really easy to do for this game. And like, yeah, do more of the burning. How about? He's like, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> twist my arm. arm. Sure. Yeah. I'm almost surprised it doesn't happen more often. I mean, it feels like one of those things that I'd like to see them do more, where it's like these subtle hints of like well, why did this person turn to chaos? Like, what was it that suddenly tipped them over the edge? And I mean, obviously, Skaven are already chaos, but like to become so much more than just like a random Skaven guy. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I'd like to see them use that kind of plot device more often. Well, man, I have to believe at this point because there's more plot to get through. But I, I think I remember Paven mentioning in a previous episode how you liked when two characters who don't normally get go at each other do like you know two new interactions when the techless and the gash thing happened but in the same vein i love to see the interplay between two factions that isn't just i'm gonna stab you i'm gonna slice mm-hmm. you. like how, how can two factions interact that isn't just like you said just blunt warfare there are creative ways for every you know every different combination to occur and to see those explored uh, uniquely is is delightful. Like that's what I think in my mind what makes Warhammer really cool. It's a, it's a game full of unique bespoke factions that can interact with each other in unique ways, and this is one example of that. Definitely. Uh, and then the city burns down. Basically. Um, yeah. Then I think the this next couple of sh- I mean we'll call out the things that we like about it, but the next couple sections or paragraphs are, are really just uh, classic Warhammer battle uh, stuff, yep. where it's very much Skaven so. spilling out. Um, what the city has to do to defend itself, the scaven get the upper hand, the city gets the upper hand. And then I think maybe the final move or motion is the um, the charge of the Knights Excelsior. Um, so they hop on their... Um, Dracoths. Dracoths, yeah, there you go. It's pretty cool. Like the, um, the, the scaven have taken up a position, I believe, near the docks where their uh, gnaw holes were. Yeah. And... Uh, and they had created like uh, kill kill zones, like firing lanes down the streets, and like nothing could could get by without being like electrocuted and fried and burned, and you know using all that technology. Except, uh, you know, a full plated stormcast on mini dragon uh, just charging down, and they get some get blown away, but eventually they're able to like bulldoze the position. And uh, I think our, our Skaven hero does he escape? Does he like you know slip away at the end? He does. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, if we, he jumps in a knot hole or maybe just a regular hole uh, or maybe some combination of the two. He just like blasts off into the <laughs> space. Uh, blasting off again. Um, 
but he does, uh, you know, escaped, I think, to mm. fight it, another day, but not So I, I found forever. that just says that he disappears into the flames. Ooh, which could be the so, exact opposite. I mean, who knows where he went? If I mean, if I disappeared in the flames, that you that means I'm dead. That's a dead thing. Yeah, but they say that he danced out of the way of his attackers and disappeared into the flames. That so. also sounds like something I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably they're <laughs> maybe saving him for something, or uh, saving him for in case they want him for something. Yeah, uh, could come back. Uh, maybe the not. Coolest thing would be Skaven Slaneshi Demon. Mm. Or, or even just a clan of Skaven that are corrupted by Slanesh, just like Clan Pestilence is corrupted by Nurgle. Be pretty cool. And so uh, the city is quote unquote saved, despite the fact that it's literally like burning as we speak. Yeah. Um, but the city rallies, at least for a, a brief moment, it kind of forgets it for a hot second, maybe forgets its fascination or like determination to like extinguish all magic uh, in order to like rally and try you know and and uh, save what it can of like sort of the interior of of this city um and while this is happening so conveniently or maybe planned i don't know um the, the main I, event i know it's planned well it's just that while it's while, while it's happening um the it shifts like camera real, real quick like it's again a classic movement move movie move where like we get a glimpse of this place that we've never seen before where all these elves are you know have been tied up and are being ritually sacrificed um in front of all these mirrors that are then uh getting cracked by actually more skaven who apparently had snuck in uh, during the attacks and in doing so the combination of elven blood and cracked mirrors a lot of this culminates in an entry point uh, for the twins who are that Slanesh newborn uh, sort of re- reborn. Um, and so I guess maybe we don't know that. Do we know that it's the twins yet or that something's coming through the mirrors? I can't uh, we know that it's them uh, okay. because they, they very specifically are called out. There's also a, uh, a full page art of, <laughs> I think it's Dexessa. Oh, um, after so coming through the mirrors there's a good hint there's a good clue as yeah <laughs> rolling up and so we are now if if we didn't know before we definitely know now that the, all this skaven thing was all uh, a ruse a ploy a distraction um to allow this um uh, a different sort of invasion to begin um in the secreted underbelly parts of of this here city um by by slanesh yeah so Part one good job slanesh you uh you definitely brought about a whole heaping helping of trouble for this city. Yeah. Um, part two. Yeah. Hard age. cut here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> miles and miles away. Leagues away. Um, to Time. a rampage. Years ago. Ragnos. Yeah. So now uh, it starts with the Coast of Tusk, which is another, it's the same map, I think. It just has a bunch of. Yeah. Um, it's just more focused. Yeah. A little more focused. Uh, but that's not that's not interesting. We can't we can't podcast a map. But w- what we can podcast we can is try. Kragnos, the end of empires. A little bit of an origin story uh, about the the titular character of this here book. As I mentioned before, I don't. I deliberately didn't reread it again. So does anybody want to talk about Kragnos's where, where, from whence this Kragnos has come? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's let's talk about some Drogrook. I don't want to anymore. No. Oh, okay. Well, here we go. Done. Um, yeah. So, so we get an interlude here. So obviously, we are left suspenseful with the impending doom of Excelsis to go way back in time, pr- 
pre-Age of Myth to learn a little bit about a race of giant centaurs called Drogruk. And among these centaurs is our title character, uh, Kragnos. Um, so we find out that he is the son of a tribal leader of the Drogruk, and that is Gorgos. Um, and basically we find out that he's a real jerk, there you go. real bad guy. Um, and he, you know, is like, he beats it's, it describes him as having beaten his brother to a pulp and is, uh, chastised for that. Um, and he yeah. chooses, yeah. And he's, he, he decides to strike out with his closest companions and they, they head out into Gur to just wage war on basically everybody. Um, if you're in Gur, you're getting war wait Gur, you're getting war <laughs> waged with him. Yeah. Um, and so he's he's described as having these just terrible rampages across Gur, um, and everyone is just living in fear of this giant monster, Drogruk, who is just unbridled rage all over the realm. Uh, but the orcs think that is awesome and are all about it, and they start to worship him as this just superhero, and they basically say, like, they start telling the tales of DeBoss Trampla and saying how great he is, and uh, basically every time they tell his story, it becomes even greater and greater. Um, and so eventually they effectively deify him and he becomes something of a God. Uh, and, and in that journey, he, uh, finds some artifacts that empower him even more. He, he takes, what was it made out of? It's like some sort of a, a geomantic nexus of Gur forged into a weapon called the dread mace and he also finds a uh, shield that had been discarded by gorka morka as he tried to eat it and broke his tooth on it and was like man i can't eat this i don't need anything with that throws it away but by going and finding this shield it's something so powerful that it can stop a god so uh he now has that as well um so armed with his new shield called Tuskbreaker and uh, his his mighty Dread Mace, he is now ready to continue his rampages even more so. Um, and in doing this, like I said, the orcs continue to build him up and build him up even more. And like he starts to believe their stories too. And like he accepts their offerings that they give to him. And, uh, so he's, he's like eating bones and, uh, of these like great beasts that the bone splitters bring him. And they also bring him amber bone, which is the realm stone of Gur. And he eats so much of that, that he actually does eventually gain the power of Gur and becomes a demigod. And, uh, over the course of a number of these stories, um, like I said, he, they, he continues to like believe more and more so of what the orcs are saying about him because like their stories keep getting greater and greater. Uh, but as he believes it, it like 
the magic of Gur in him allows the stories to like become manifest. And so they like start to say how like, oh, you know, his hoofbeats are like earthquakes. And then suddenly when he stamps on the ground, it actually creates earthquakes. Um, so some some fun little callbacks to like how orc magic works uh, in the old world and in 40K where like they just believe things into existence and if their belief is strong enough they can make anything happen which i think has always been a fun little tidbit for the orcs uh but yeah so that's sort of some background on him and his race and then i mean i guess i don't know how long you guys just want me to talk uh Uh, you're doing great tell us about the dragons sure that's all all he even wants is the dragons yeah i mean who doesn't who doesn't want dragons well if you wanted dragons, here you go. You're going to learn about some dragons, and then unfortunately don't get too attached because they're all going to die. We're going to go here we're going to smash them. Uh, but so we find out that across all the realms, or across all of Gur, these rampages have been going on. Kragnos winds up uh, back at what is called the Draconith home realm of these mountain ranges in Vexothia. Um, you're just making these words up now. Uh, I mean, I wish, but some of these, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a mouthful. Uh, but so he sort of remembers how like, oh yeah, uh, we used to fight alongside these guys and we were fighting the dragon ogres in the Thunderscorn, like, I don't like that, the group of the Thunderscorn, uh, dragon ogres and like we were bros. Um, let's fight. but effectively um he you know at this point he's gotten so powerful that he's just kind of like you know what it'd be fun to like prove that i am the strongest and like everyone should recognize that and so he it it's it shows that the accord between the draconith and the drogruk that his father had forged he's just like don't care I know we're allies, but, you know, I, I'm going to go and crack some heads to prove once and for all that I am truly the most powerful being, um, in all of Gur, and he wages war on the Draconith. Yeah. I, I try to read it less as like nonsense decision-making and more that he has now become so infused with the, with the, the, the realm stone of Gur and with uh, like orc wah energy that he's more akin to a force of nature than a sentient thinking being like than it like yeah. a, a character that can have reasonable motivations um and so because he is such a brutal and savage creature he's just looking around for the, the biggest thing he can possibly fight and that is you know the power the power in girl is the other power in girl is the is these um Sonic beings, and and I think no, I I think you're right, and I think that that's not even inconsistent with his story all along. Like his whole thing has always been, I want to prove I'm the most powerful. I deserve to have respect, and so like it's not just senseless rampages. It's like how do you prove in a world where might is the only thing? that you're the best is like, you have to be able to prove it in a fight. And so he has like made it his mission to prove that he is the most powerful being and that he is like the top dog. 
uh or he's centaur, more of a horse centaur case. kind of guy yeah yeah this might be a weird uh callback but what was that south park episode with russell crowe where he does the travel show and he uh <laughs> some and fight yeah. the world. And he just like fights things all across the world yeah uh strong crag nose vibes <laughs> right but yeah so like i guess i i would say for people who and and this is this is maybe a bit tangential but to, like I have definitely seen and heard some criticism of Kragnos and people basically being like, why is he so dumb? And it's like, I don't think he's dumb. I just think his motivations aren't like there there's, it's simple. There really isn't anything more to it. Like he's not dumb. He's just simple. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that he's he not good. <laughs> I'm not saying that he is simple. I'm saying that like, he doesn't have more motive. Like, his end goals aren't complex. Let's 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 save the Kragnos's dumb fight for later when okay. it's even no, dumber. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, no, I think yeah. that's fine. But but so I mean, if he if he needs to prove that he's the best and that he's the biggest, uh, he definitely does a good job because he he beats up some dragons. Um, the only reason that he doesn't defeat them all immediately is because they have magic um and are able to run away from him also their their wings i imagine help well i'm sure they were able to fly away but uh yeah so he's he starts a war against the dragons he first beats up all their pets i think was a a fun way to piss them off (laughs) and then eventually they start to fight him and um and uh they kill a bunch of his like comrades um like during the battle and then he gets really mad um, he decides he wants to eradicate all of the the these uh dr- what were they what were their names again? I'm sorry. Draconith Empire. The Draconith, yeah. Um, and so he starts to like purge them from Gur, and then eventually the the, the dragons are losing this war. Uh, once we, you know happens over I don't know decades or uh, you know however whatever time period we're talking about, and they and as Phil mentioned, they have magic and they start to commune with a kind of a, myst- a, a mystical group of beings to them that have been around even longer, and that is the Slan of the Lizardmen. Um, and they hear the plight of the dragons, and, they, and they're like, no, this Kragnos guy is no good. And uh, I don't know, does, Aaron, do you want to take us home? What, what does uh, Croak do? I do want to just jump at this, this slight thing of Croak where we, we get some of his old names, and they're Kurek. Croak and Cribbit. And I have to say, I really love Lord Cribbit. Um, and I think that we need to also remember him as Lord Cribbit as well as Croak from now on. But anyway. Okay, okay. Well, they they, they, they lure him to the mountain, uh, to the top of the mountain. I forget what the lure is. Um, God, I don't, I don't know it well enough. Look it up. <laughs> they lure him to the mountain and then it falls and then he like tries to fight it. Oh, so, I mean, basically when they're, um, so the, the Draconith make a deal with the Seraphon. So it's not a one-way street. Um, they say, hey, look, we're, we're being eradicated and there's only so many of our eggs left, right? Because wasn't Kragnos running around smashing eggs and stuff too? He was. So he was they stomping off, on them. Yeah, they, were off, they offer up the, the, the last of their eggs. And in exchange, um, the, the, the Slan um, would give all that they had to defeat the earthquake god in whatever way they could. And so they, like you said, they lure them to the Twinhorn Peak. Um, and uh, Kragnos is apparently so swollen on Realmstone that, like, uh, that 
the sides of the mountain just sort of crumble away as he approaches it. He's so like massive and, and giant. Um, and uh, he's, he starts smashing up like Slan and stuff too. So like he's even tearing yeah. into the, to the Lizardmen, which is a uh, pretty hardcore. Um, but then uh, apparently he reaches like one of these higher peaks. Um, but uh, once he sort of reaches the, the summit, he realizes, Oh no, this isn't just a regular peak, but it's um, like a, a hollowed out like dead creature, which apparently Gurr's just chock full of. In fact, I'm sure Gurr's just mostly hollowed out dead creatures. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. And uh, in doing so, like a magic spell, like causes it to collapse. And uh, the image of Dracothian, I don't know if it's actually Dracothian um, uh, wraps like wraps him up and they slam him down into the center of this mountain right am i remembering that correctly that is correct um so that he couldn't fight his way out and well he was immobilized they then uh basically uh they, they erect a magical barrier around him so that he cannot get out um and then close him inside the mountain to never escape ever again never uh, ever except ever. the lariel and they uh and they like they say re- they remove him from the time time itself so they like you know take him out of the timeline uh really to like lock yeah. him away in, in in a stasis and i think he like when he when he does wake up spoiler alert uh he he's, he feels like no time has passed uh, yeah he's like wondering what, what the heck happened and i want to mention that it's it's actually like a, an alliance of three it's the drake lords of the empire it is the Lord Croak or Cribbit of the of the Lizardmen, and it's Dracothian uh, it, itself, the the God Beast, and all three kind of gang up and create this plan to lock away Kragnos. Well, there's a lot of scales involved in that. Yeah, it's uh, that. Yeah. the alliance of uh, I don't know cold blood. It's not much of a spoiler alert because yeah, it's, it's locked in. It's locked in this mountain. <laughs> Fast forward uh, untold millennia. And uh, we're back at the present day. We're in the mists of Alarial's um, life quake, what have you. And that very mountain that Kragnos is buried underneath, um, it's got a bunch of like, you know, Gurian trees growing up on it. And uh, that's Alarial's bread and butter. And so those trees start to flourish and, you know, get bigger. And the roots start to dive deep into this mountain. And I wouldn't have pegged... Uh, croaks think force field its weakness to be tree roots like my dad's septic tank but um <laughs> they go they go down and they pierce it and uh that is all kragnos needs to sort of break free of the force field or the, the magical jail that's locked him inside this mountain it doesn't solve his mountain problem which he then has to like literally fight his way out of uh, yeah, I, I also read that it's it's not only like the roots, but it's like the wave of death magic kind of destabilized yeah. it, and then the wave of life magic kind of destabilized it more, and then maybe the tree roots are the straw that like break at least the time portion of the spell. So then so maybe like, it's life and death magic that did the thing to the septic tank too. Okay, so that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So it was the combination of the necroquake and uh, Alario's life magic both both broke the spell. Um, and, and then I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that he he just wakes up and is like, "Okay, I guess I got to get out of this mountain," and just punches his way out of the mountain. Because <laughs> you know, as you do. I don't know if that needed any more description. He just, yeah, he punches his way out. I will. Say, the one thought is that, like, normally when you say someone punches out of a mountain, which is an absurd sentence to say, I don't think I've ever said the phrase "punches his way out of a mountain." So, like any other mountain, you're like, "Oh, he's just tunneling through rocks and stuff." But in Gur, like everything's alive. Like that mountain is alive, and he just yeah. punched his way out of its 
stomach or something like that. It, it's you don't normally have to personify geological uh, things, but in Gur you do, and so like he, he killed that mountain. It was alive. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like uh, in the mortal realms, mountains are more often alive than uh, dead. <laughs> Statistically, unless it's like the undead mountain of the necropolis. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's one of those. Poor mountain. Why does nobody even care about the mountains? Um, yeah, but yeah he, busts, he busts his way out, and I think his his first motivating factor it's. To find his people, right? That's what he's he's most interested in doing. Yeah. So, I mean, he he does like I don't know. They mentioned that he had dreamt about like getting his revenge and wanting to go and smash the Drakes, but then when he actually comes out, that isn't exactly the first thing that he does. So, um, like, where is everything? But he is definitely mad, uh, <laughs> which seems to be his one is one state of being um and he is ready to go on a rampage yet again yeah so he heads to like his ancestral homeland like thinking that like maybe he'll find some evidence if not like his people he can see where they went like famous said i don't think he expects them to have been wiped off the face of the planet but like we know that that is true that right. they are no longer uh, around and he's about to find that out too but he's got a ways to go he's got to he's got to run there um, yeah, it's um, yeah. He like mentions not being able to like recognize a lot of stuff because all the continents have changed in Gur, and I imagine that happens more in Gur than like Earth. Uh, but yeah. still, it's something that takes a while, um, mm-hmm. and kind of a sad thing that happened. Yeah, but I don't know. if This is sad, but like the continent had died. Like it, it's a living thing, and it's died, and it's called it's the carcass of Dons, um, which is like now mostly just being fed upon by two neighboring continents, uh, Thondia and. Oh, it's in the map. Uh, one of the other ones. Um, so it's kind of like this. This. It, yep. I don't know what a dead continent looks like, but it, it kind of looks that way on the map. Um, so he heads that way. And while that's happening, uh, I guess we do. Are we ready to jump to uh, other other guys that are doing? Yeah. It? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so there's also so there's been a, a wah trying to march on Ex, uh, march on Excelsis since like our Christmas episode. Like. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, we kept talking about that thread, uh, and so we're picking up there. We got um, we got giants, we got goblins, we got Skagra, Skagra, uh, Sagrat's there, Gordrax there. Um, you know, a bunch of mega gargants have joined. This is kind of this wall that's just marching, uh, marching toward Excelsis because they can feel something's coming. Um, and uh, so a couple important things are happening. One is, or have happened. One is that Gordrak has achieved, gotten one of the God Beast artifacts, which is the um, big, it's a huge battering ram that uses the skull of a God Beast as it. And uh, but he's supposed to find two other artifacts. Uh, one hammer Gourd is the name of the battery. Hammer Gourd, yeah, and it's like a big um, ram God Beast who that died. I think Sigmar maybe killed it. Um, but it was in a storm vault. They bust it open. They get it. They attach it to a battering ram. That's one of their main weapons. And then there's two other artifacts, but they're hard to get. Like, uh, you know, Gardrak was loosely on board with yeah. to get them. Um, but The Basha Shard. Or ba- probably Basha Shard. Basha Shard. Yeah. Um, and that one was, I think, buried by the Stormcast in a mountain. Uh, in the Tusk Vault, and I think it was buried either by the story. Yeah, combination is uh, Hammers of Sigmar and some Fire Slayers were defending it, and so they said, uh, "If if we can't have it, you no one can." And so they buried it in the mountain. And they're like, "Oh man, like I, I don't want to dig that up." Like or, orcs are very impatient. And then the other thing is the Golden Amulet. Uh, was this is the third? These are the things that he has prophesized to get. 
and um, uh, Skagrot is good on prophecy. And he's like, "Hey, if we're gonna win, we we need we need the the fist of Gork uh, to to have these artifacts. It's part of the prophecy." And but Skagrot is, uh, <laughs> is, a, is a devious uh, Grot, and he's like. I'm not telling him that. And so he sends another named goblin character, one of the few we have, which is uh, uh, Schnazgar Stinkmullet. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah. Yeah. Stink, yeah. Uh, and he's he's uh, he's back from uh, the malign sorcery. Uh, he's the the named uh, fungoid cave shaman. When the fungoid cave shaman originally got released, it was uh, Snazgar. Yeah. And he sends Snazgar, which is part of uh, Skagrot's Gloom uh, uh, Psychics. Um, and he sends him, like, yeah, hey, you know, you, you wise Grot, go, go, you know, you got to tell uh, Gordrak what's up. He needs to get the, the items, the magic items. Uh, so uh, Snazgar goes, he starts talking to Gordrak. He's like, hey, the prophecy, you just got to dig up the Bastia shard, then we got to get the ammo, and then we're good to go. Um, and Gordrak's like, nah, I'm not doing that. And then he kills him. Uh, that was great. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, it's good. I was, I always enjoy a named character dying uh, because I feel like IPs are so like uh, afraid of doing it. They're like, all right, well, we're playing with stakes here. Um, so now guys are gone. Uh, see you later. Um, and the orcs march. They, they, they start to march on Excelsis. One funny bit about the, gold, the golden amulet is that when he tells him that you need to get the amulet Gordrak's exact response is was a amulet. <laughs> he just doesn't even know what it is. And he like tries to explain what an amulet is to him. And he's just like, man, I don't got time for this. He's like, nah, this isn't, this isn't fighting. Uh, yeah. This isn't bashing. So, uh, thing is you can't kill someone with a fancy necklace. Yeah. I wonder, you know, this is, this is really, this is a, quite an aside, but like, we love Gordrak's characterization, right? Like it's so it's so honest and fun, you know. Like you know, he just wants to punch, you know, and he like you know, yeah, it's simple the iron jaw way. Yeah, but he also he, you know he's also clever, you know. Uh, he's cunning. He's cunning. Yeah. He's, he's cunning. <laughs> oh my god, cut it out! I'll never I'll never be on a podcast again. <laughs> yeah, he's cunning. He's cunning but brutal, uh, uh, and uh, and like Kragnos, I feel like lives in like the uncanny valley of like. Like, you know, he's brutal, but he also, like, has, like, makes weird choices that aren't, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about, like, there's some kind of parabola where you're, like, cool here being dumb. And then, like, you know, if you're, like, a little bit smarter, it's actually, like, less cool. Yeah. No, no, I I definitely understand. (laughs) We'll put it on the website. We'll put up all all the graphs and figures. There's a lot of of visual aids in this here uh, story. But, uh like you said, uh, Gordrick decides, no, 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 we're not, we're done with these artifacts. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're going straight for the Humi, Humi city, big teef. Uh, and then we're going to trash it into the dirt. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and interesting. Yeah. I'm glad Gordrick's here. Cause we thought Gordrick was going to be like broken realms, Gordrick. And like, this was going to be like book two or book five or something like this. And it should have been, but, uh, yeah, Kragnos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to have that discussion. Yeah. So, uh, so we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna forge ahead. So we have two armies, um, kind of marching. Like, well, uh, the Wa Gordrak is marching towards uh, Excelsis, but it's on the way to, um, it, uh, like, you have to go through the the carcass dance on the way, and that's where Kragnos is going. And Kragnos on the way meets up with some mega gargants and like kills a bunch, uh, just like on the on the on the hop. Because uh, they're just like, oh, like let's punch it, and then he just like smashes them in the face, and um, and then they start to follow him. They're like, oh, he's yep. he's the biggest now, mm-hmm. uh, and so they sure follow him. And eventually, these two armies meet, and it's a big old punch up, 
and uh, we get we get our Battle of the Titans. Okay, I want to I want to do a quick blow by blow of it. It's not it's you know it's no Teclas v Nagash, uh, but it there, there's some good there's some good there's some good moments. Um, I found it more entertaining. I don't want to give you a big head about it, but everybody loved your Teclas v Nagash. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I took some notes here. Okay, so we got we got we have like huge uh, like big armies fighting. There's a ton of like they're in this I believe in, in like a a valley here, like a kind of uh, between like two two plateaus. And uh, Skagroth's kind of scoping it out up top, seeing how it goes. Like um, there's, uh, you know, there's a there's a maw, kind of, yeah, maw crusher uh, gargant tribe, and like some mega gargants that are following Kragnos. And then there's this huge wall of orcs, and they're kind of just like funneling into this like scrap, uh, like not only like a, a fight, but also like metal is going everywhere, and it's like a huge bloody punch up. And you have this god of earthquakes barreling through, um, and. Uh, and, and, and so Scraggrass looking, looking down, I think Gordrex looking down at the fight and, uh, Kragnos is just beating everything up. The bad moon starts to peak up. So we got like all the kind of the, uh, the, the, the great elements of destruction kind of starting to. Yeah. Just peeking. <laughs> is that peeking? He's like, Oh, I, I don't know what's going on over here. <laughs> uh, bad, bad moon's great. Uh, and, uh, so it starts like three, three maw crushers, the smaller gargants like charge, uh, Gordrak, Gordrak. So, like, crushers are the are the orc mounts, right? Is it oh, the sorry, man crushers? Man, oh there you go. Oh, there we go. We got we got we got we got Gordrak on Big Tooth, which is a maw crusher, which is like a, a big toad dragon, uh, and then we got the man crusher gargants, which are regular sized giants. Then we got the mega mega gargants, which are also fighting. Um, so three three man crushers charge Gordrak. He like he, he messes them up. Uh, one one cool thing that happens is like. Uh, Big Tooth just like grabs one of them by the chest with its mouth and like shakes it like a crocodile uh, and like, <laughs> it up, you know, like, you know, a fountain of gore. Uh, and so we each, you know, they get to show like how cool they are. And like Kragnos is just is smashing like everything aside, just like tons of orcs and trolls and like everything part of this horde. Um, and then uh, like orc shamans are trying to like shoot magic at Kragnos and that doesn't work against him because he's got the, the shield uh, that, you know, reflects all the magic and then, then, we, then we're like, all right, all right, let's let's get to business. And like, you know, Cordrex like, yeah, yeah, the big one. And he like, kick, you know, he like kicks the spurs into into Big Tooth, and Big Tooth charges at uh, at Kragnos. Okay, so blow by blow, here we go. Kragnos attacks with the mace. Uh, big Tooth dodges and like blocks it with the wing, breaks its wing, but uh, uh, you know, not too bad, not a killing blow like that mace delivers. And then Gordrak. Uh, starts like crawling, grabs onto the mace and gets lifted off the uh, <laughs> lifted off of uh, the maw crusher. Maw crusher like bites into the chest of Kragnos, and so he's like holding on uh, the big tooth, the, the like the meanest, biggest maw crusher that exists. And then Kragnos, like they, they say, like a gorilla is starting to like crawl all over uh, Kragnos, like trying to like get at him and attack him, and like is like loving it, just chopping him up with his axe, like fighting a god. Um, as like a really big mean orc, but still like this weird, you know, uh, like, I don't know, fighting a tiny, like a gremlin. Um, and then Kragnos tries to like, you know, he can't quite get him off his hand. So he tries to eat him and Gordrak like starts like attacking his tongue uh, with his axes and like uses his axes to keep the mouth open. And then, and then like uh, Kragnos like, oh, that didn't work. And he like spits out the axe. Um, and uh, well, all the while, like Gordrak's like howling and whining and like it's, he's getting really humped up. He's like, I got it. I got it. And then Big Tooth is like, oh, we, we could get him. And then he like 
un, he like lets go of uh, Kragnos's chest of his mouth, and, like go, go, tries to go for the killing blow. And that's the opening that Kragnos needs because he's he'd been like trying to get like Big Tooth off, like hitting him with his shield. But now that he's got a little space, he gets it with a big backhand and then comes down with uh, the hammer uh, right on top of Big Tooth's head. Um, so huge blows, knocks Big Tooth into like a big pillar of rocks. It all like comes like a whole huge, like I don't know, part of a mountain comes falling on all of them, uh, kind of like Avengers style where like everything's made of cardboard. Um, and, and it like buries everybody except for uh, Gorjak who like rolls onto the ground and is, uh, you know, sitting back up. And then uh, Kragnos is first up. Uh, big Tooth like gets up next and like starts trying to fight and Kragnos hits him with like a big mule kick, knocks him unconscious. Big Tooth is down. Uh, you know, uh, Kragnos has the initiative. He's like much bigger and like ready for just Gordrak by himself. Gordrak's there. I think he's only got one axe in his hand. He's uh, ready for the end. And uh, Skagrat's like, oh boy, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of <laughs> a big orc. You know, I've, like, I'm, I'm too invested here. And so like, uh, you know, in a little bit of cliche fashion, he, uh, he like talks to the moon. He's like, hey, moon, bail me out. And uh, the moon, like, you know, was like, was like, sure. And he, like, spits out a bunch of moon pellets, and it, like, makes a perfect, like, I don't know, like, a wall? <laughs> a wall between Gordrak and Kragnos. Uh, and they're like, oh, no, like, you know, we're separated now. And uh, there's, like, a, a, a pregnant pause. And then Kragnos is like, hey, man, you want to go uh, mess up, fudge up that city over there? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, Gordrak's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> then they, they go, they go, and they're friends now. He's like, "Yeah, come on, boys, let's do it." Do we just become best friends? And uh, and then and then you get the meme with the predator uh, handshake between Kragnos and Gordrak, and in the middle, it's like mess up Excelsis. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty good fight. Did have the thing where like rubble comes between the two named character opponents, but it had a little bit more like relevance here. Uh, yeah, and the Skagrat. Skagrat is. I really like Skagrat as a um, uh, destruction character because he has, you know, he's he has more complex behaviors. He's he's very cunning. Um, he's cunning and brutal. like in this fight, Gordrak was way cooler than Kragnos. Like Gordrak is like yeah, he was obviously outmatched and he did not care and like it it, it didn't even seem to like phase him one bit. Uh, and so because of that, I just liked him so much. I mean. I, who isn't on Gordrak's side? Like, what what reader isn't rooting for Gordrak in this fight? I don't know. It's crazy to me. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, the orcs are such gorilla-looking models that I, I, like, I just have such a clean picture of him, like, crawling over Kragnos. And, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah such a great uh, uh, visual image there. Yeah, okay. So that, so that is how they join forces. Now there's one unified destruction army marching on Excelsis. Megawa. Wasn't mega before, it is now. And uh, sure March, is. they shall. I'm trying to think, where does the scene go from here? I think we switch switch, we switch camera angles, right? Um, uh, now that there's uh, this yeah. unified wah heading towards Excelsis, um, we, we head back to Excelsis, and we get a, a little bit of a glimpse of how the city is trying to... Um, clean up the, the previous mess and then also prepare for the next one right and so it's a combination of um eradicating what skaven forces are left um but then also seeing to like the both physical and like magical defenses of the city um and it was a lot of you know like cities of sigmar cannon preparations and they're you know getting the hellstorm batteries and, and all that jazz to make sure that the walls are 
um, squared away, maybe not literally, I don't know what shape Excelsis is. Um, but then furthermore, is it here that like the Seraphons start aiding to the, the defenses as well? And maybe even yeah. Roke lends its, his, uh, yeah, let's, it, let's it is in this part. Yeah. Let's talk about like every, let's, let's, let's do a quick inventory of like who, who is arrayed against who, um, because like on the I, 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 rather than like I don't know I guess going through the narrative beats of who how everybody gets involved uh, on the on the side of destruction we have uh, like all the aforementioned characters we got Kragnos we have a wall of orcs we have um, we have Skagrot king of the 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 gloom spite we, yeah uh, Gordrak fist of fist of uh, Gork uh, we have a big old uh, Dankold Trogoth uh, he has a special name we have a uh, like Bundo whale biter, I think, who is, mm-hmm. um, who is a Kraken eater, Kraken eater, mega gargant. And, uh, there's a, there's a couple of things they do. Like instead of just run up, like I believe the, uh, Kraken eater, uh, tribe goes into the water and tries to circle around the city that way as well, as well as like a flotilla of bone spitter orcs. Yep. They're like trying to make a, a, a go around move. Um, another thing that uh, Scragrot has done is he's paid off a bunch of ogre mercenaries to go offer their services uh, to Excelsis to help defend the city, um, but to betray at just the right moment and then eat them. I love that uh, part. So yeah. Like, yeah, so we got we got some real cunning behavior going here. Uh, there's also a couple cool. Uh, let me see. There's uh, another character, uh, Golgaz Stoneclaw, who is a uh, 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 war boss of the blown splitters of the flame scar plateau. And this was the first age of Sigmar army I played. Oh, uh, cause mm-hmm. for that, uh, nice. that, that, that box set campaign. Oh my God. I forgot what it was called. Uh, that took place on the flame scar plateau. And you had like a bunch of special rules. And this is where the first cities of Sigma rules came out. And there's like a unified destruction force. I'm sure you got it back there, Aaron. Yeah. But what's it called <laughs> though? Yeah, well, I played a a, a like a, a Golgaz, uh, uh, what is his name? Stoneclaw list, where it was like a unified Greenskins army, and you got to you have to roll like extra dice because he 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 has like two shrunken heads on each of his shoulders that he gets a uh, like tactical uh, insight from, and you got like extra dice to roll on your like I don't know your t- tactics dice uh, <laughs> because you could you could hear what like the those uh, those nice. uh, were saying. So that that's that's a raid on the destruction side. So pretty pretty mean over there. Um, and on the defenders of Excelsis, we have the kind of the standing regiments. Uh, I don't know if I have their names in front of me, but they have like illustrious histories and like I don't know the Gold Company and the you know the Lions of uh, of Excelsis or right. where they are. We have the the those, <laughs> those are convincing made up names. <laughs> we have. Uh, we have um, uh, the stormcast that are there, we spent a lot of time talking. Oh, I should not be. Somebody else do the the uh, the Excelsis side. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a terrible job. I will say that I believe it's Firestorm is what you were talking about before. Firestorm, that's the one. Uh, Firestorm was great, and also every time I mentioned Firestorm, I also mentioned that like it was a bunch of uh, newer players and Josh, my co-host from Dogs of Warcry, and he like kicked our butts. Up and down that game. He was like undefeated by a lot. He was playing like KO, and I was like just bringing my old like Warhammer Greenskins, and he like tabled me every game we played. Like, <laughs> just, like leaf blowed me off the table. Yeah, old first tome for uh, KO, uh, fun days. Um, 
ruthless. So, he's ruthless. <laughs> so for the order forces trying to shore things up in Excelsis, I I honestly didn't even remember that uh, the actual cities of Sigmar, like just defenders, had regimental names and things that were called out in the story. So obviously it stood out a lot. Um, but, but there are a lot of them. They are working to get the walls prepared. Um, we know that we've got people from around the area. So just like tribes of people from uh, around Gur that have come to help defend the city. Um, there are f- some fire slayers in the city who are helping to defend. We've got... Obviously, the Stormcast forces for the Knight, Knights Excelsior. Um, then there's Caradron fleets that are patrolling the skies. And I think the only other groups, because they make a point of saying how the elves have basically abandoned the city at this point, so we don't have any Scourge privateers uh, or any of the elves helping defend but we know that there are so we are, we already know that there were seraphon forces in the city because of their like pyramid i don't know if you want to call it like uh an embassy or whatever but but so there are seraphon i'm oh, sorry i do want to call it an embassy i think that's fun it's a great it's a great name for it okay um and at some point they croak rolls in to the city it's super convoluted. I'm just reading it now, and I forgot how like roundabout they do it. Do you mind if I mention it? Go for it. Okay, so I believe the White Reaper, our friend, uh, is about to die at the end of uh, the 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 Skaven the Skaven fight, um, and he's like he's like all covered in poisonous ashen darts, and he's like, oh my god, like what do we do? And he's like, I know, I need to talk to Gardas. Uh, he'll right, 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 right. Yeah, that's and, how. Uh, so he like tells uh, an ether wing or somebody he knows, and he's like, "Hey, tell the get the steel soul. Like we we need his help." And then so yeah. like somebody talks to Gardas. Gardas is over there. Gardas uh, prays about it, and he um, he communes with the Slan, and he communes with Lord Croak, and he's like, "Hey, what about Excelsis? Can we help out?" And it looks like. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It was like, it was like he, they didn't say anything, but he, he knew the message was received. Um, and then uh, Croak shows up in uh, Excelsis. And I, I think this is later, but we might as well just mention it now that like somehow Croak is invisible to everybody as he like shows up in the city and goes about adding magical defenses, but nobody knows he's there and he's. I'm assuming doing that on purpose. I'm not really sure why, though. You're not meant um, to know, man. The if you, plans, believe, yeah. if you don't believe in Lord Croak, you can't see him. <laughs> oh, true. okay. Fair. Um, but true believers, like me and Paven. <laughs> they they go to pretty great lengths to describe the sort of setup of the defenses and the walls and the free guild, like arsenals and just all this stuff that... I mean, it's cool to get that level of detail, especially if you're a Cities of Sigmar player, so that you have like something to go on with the structure of the army and how it all works. Um, but in terms of actually like 
moving the story forward, there's there's a good number of pages of stuff that doesn't really add a whole lot. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's, it's sort of the back and forth of like, and then stuff happens, parts of Warhammer writing that, yeah, it's fun. Well, I, I got, I got a, I got a fun tidbit here. Um, so like, so you're right. Uh, Croak appears, uh, invisible to everybody, uh, except for, um, uh, Dora Leah Van Dens, uh, the, the one of the, right daughter we've, we've talked about and she goes to the temple and she's like hey what well, like what's going on like there seems to be she doesn't see the salon but she hears about the hubbub of the lizard they're like hey don't worry like a really a really big deal is here we're all gonna be fine um, <laughs> and then it says like what she they didn't what wasn't communicated is that the death of excelsis was an ex, was calculated to be an acceptable loss uh, right. by the salon, <laughs> as long as they had enough as long as it took long enough for them to seal all of the realm gates to gur yeah, like there, there even oh, yeah, even Kroke about is that like part. kind of pooping his pants about Kragnos because it took so much <laughs> to get rid of him that they're just like, you know what, girl, lost cause. There's just eight realms now. <laughs> I think so. It's yeah. not Gur. It's the it's the Gurish heartlands. So oh, it's just part yeah. of Gur. It it'd be way funnier if it was all Gur. <laughs> it's, it's just the region. Like, yeah, the Gurish heartland. Yeah, let's, we'll just see. It's this still continent. This these the, I mean these, these collection of continents. We're calling it a wash. Yeah, write them off. It still shows the very like cold-blooded calculations of the Seraphon where they're just like, yeah, this is probably the most efficient way to make sure that nothing else bad happens because of this guy. <laughs> they're just yeah, literally I, dooming like three continents. And I love the idea that they're, they're telling her, you know, everything is going to be fine because for them, that is fine. They're not the lying. Plan. They're not yeah, tricking her. Plan on track. The great plan will continue. Everything will be fine. You'll be dead, but hey, just that doesn't matter. You should be so lucky. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts about the prep before uh, the two forces face each other down? I will say that actually, uh, not not all the elves left. Apparently, some contingent of the Darkling Covens stuck around because they had a vested interest in ensuring that the Spear of Malice uh, didn't fall into enemy hands. And so most mm-hmm. other, most other elves had, had vamoosed, but um, a few still uh, stuck it out, apparently. Okay, cool. So there's some some elves that didn't think that bigotry was enough to get in the way of them helping the city out. Well, it's more like uh, they had too much skin in the game. <laughs> Fair. I got too many skeletons in this city. I got to, we got to figure it out. <laughs> um, so the forces of destruction, they arrive. Um, and so it's, a, it's a classic, uh, Lord of the Rings scene where everybody's man in the walls and you see the, uh, literally the orcs off in the distance. And so they, they proceed to advance on the city specifically. They send in the trolls or trogoths first. And so, uh, the defenders of the city start, lighten them up basically cannon fire and rocket batteries and the whole nine yards um and they they seem to be doing like incredible damn like I and mean, they a lot of firepower is arrayed against these invading forces um and they are wrecking these trogots or so it would seem um as they continue to advance and advance um and you know their limbs are getting blown off etc cetera, etc cetera, uh they look down stupidly realize oh no i'm missing my left arm and almost unconsciously start to just proceed to grow these things back. And so it turns out that, uh, as we know, that the trolls have 
an equivalent of a regen roll, um, this these this battery is almost ineffective against them because they can they seem to shrug off all these different wounds and and um, regrow any lost appendages um, as they advance. And I think it's interesting that the Scragrot's plan is actually pretty smart, and that they the trolls are just a distraction for getting Hammergord uh, basically to the walls. Um, cause he knows that like they'll, they'll just soak up all the fire. And by the time that anybody realizes that like the real threat is actually this battering ram, it's basically too late. And that's almost exactly what happens, right? Like the, the trolls take the firepower. Yeah. The gargants get the battering ram into, into position, so to speak, as they're doing so. Um, I, I think maybe the, the defenders maybe realize maybe a little too late, uh, and they send out um, a, a, what's the word for a bunch of gyrocopters? Uh, yeah, squadron or we're, uh, yeah. yeah, fleet yeah. squadron fleet. These are all great terms. I don't know. Um, dropping you know dropping shift? fire bombs down from below, but uh, and you know they're uh, causing un- incalculable uh, losses to the to the destruction forces, but it's still not enough. And they are able to, uh, the gargans are able to weather the storm and, and get the battering ram all the way up to the gate. Gordrax sees his moment. He's been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah. He rolls up right next to it. I think he hops on top of yeah, it. He hops on top of it. He's Stand like, yeah. it on the yeah. battering ram. He's like, let me hit the walls. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, they wind up uh, and they, they take a big swing and Kablau, the battering ram shatters into a thousand pieces, uh, ineffective against Lord. Oh Earth. man, what a, what a disappointment. We've been, we've been reading around that battering land longer than we've been reading around, uh, like Lord Croak and Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I want to crack this, uh, um, chalk this up to like Gordrak actually not meeting the prophecy. Like maybe it will do. be like, he, he like purposely like didn't do the steps necessary to become the chosen of Gork. Um, and so that's why he like, like, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big failure there. He doesn't take down the wall there and he'd already gotten beaten up by Kragnos. So that's, it's, uh, over two for Gordrek here. Although number one in our hearts. <laughs> he's still on T's number top of my charts. <laughs> that's the only way I can justify him not cracking that gate because this has been built up for so long that I needed some satisfaction. And so the only reason I'm able to sleep at night knowing that he didn't break that down is because <laughs> it was his hubris that led to his downfall and that he didn't fulfill what he, I mean, the classic Greek sort of thing where like there's a prophecy and you don't, it, you don't meet the, either the prophecy the happens no matter what wonders. or yeah, <laughs> classic. Exactly. Um, and so now I, now I'm comfortable with how, how this uh, turned out. I think Gordrak goes like flying over the wall anyway. Yep. <laughs> like, woo! <laughs> yeah. This is a great plan B. Like, this is the, the well, next best thing. It's funny because he's like laying on top of the walls and the guards on top of the walls are like, oh, he's dead. And they're just like poking at him like dead body. And then all of a sudden he like gets up and he's just like, uh, oh, cool. There's guys to fight. And then he just like goes nuts uh, because he's Gordrak. I like I like the idea. Again, if this were a movie, the camera would be like zoomed in on his eye as he's laying there getting poked, and then it would just open, and then <laughs> get up and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, folks. But um, so he's he's uh, able to he himself because he rockets over the wall uh, is able to jump get up over the side. Um, big tooth like latches onto the wall and like proceeds to climb it himself but it seems like for a moment these two are the only two that are able to breach the defenses uh but that moment does not last long because the the telltale (laughs) 
um, often the distance yeah. is Kragnos is entered the is entered the fight, uh, player two, so to speak, uh, and he comes rolling up and uh, impact hits the uh, the city wall and like destroys like a half mile of it or something crazy. Yeah, well, he drags his mace along like the rampart of the wall, just like destroying all of it. And I think eventually just like knocks down a huge section and that, like, yep. that's what falls that what and then like all right, people start swarming over and now like there's a battle inside. It's almost embarrassing how easily Kragnos just absolutely annihilates the walls because it's like literally the entirety of the rest of this wall couldn't do anything to Excelsis's walls and then he's just like, Yeah, whatever, just run along the wall with my mace like a kid with a stick just running along a fence. And it just comes tumbling down. Coming through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like to think like this is all for character development for Gordrak. Like he needs this is like act one for the Gordrak uh, epic. Character and, service. Uh, yeah, he has to get laid low. He has to get embarrassed. It's like Rocky II. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's got he's to start training. He's like, I don't know, he's like doing like math problems and like, you know, trying to be more cunning. But then you look and he's just gibberish. He hasn't written anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like digging up the uh, the, the Basha, the Basha, uh, Basha stick. What was it called? The Basha, Basha shard. Basha shard, like with, the, with his own hand. All right, well, uh, we digress. I digress. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and so the, def- uh, the destruction forces swarm the city. Like but through this this entryway that Kragnos has made in Excelsis Walls, uh, the, uh, the orcs uh, stream into the city, uh, laying waste to all that they see, and things are not looking good. Yeah, a bunch of other bad things happen, including the uh, man-eaters, uh, the, the ogres. Eaters, yeah. The ogres, like, you know, do their uh, curse your <laughs> inevitable betrayal moment uh, where they turn, yep. around, turn the guns on the, on the defenders. Uh, you know, the, uh, Darko whale biter comes out of, like, comes out of the water and starts, like, smashing up the docks along with a bunch of orcs. Uh, it's not looking good. And then we have a couple kind of counter punches. Uh, I'll talk, uh, the first of which I want to talk about is, like, huge, like, uh, poisoned, uh, harpoons fly through the air and start puncturing this mega gargant and, like, pull him down and he, like, dies an agonizing death on the, on the docks. So I don't. I don't want to like steal your thunder, but we, I mean, they were almost inconsequential, but we probably should mention the Slaneshi forces. Okay. Yeah. Also rising up at this point as well. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. It's really cool. It's like, I, 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 yeah, I forgot this happened at the same time. The, um, like there becomes like a carnival parade of excess following Dex, Dexessa and Senesta. That is correct. Um, nailed it. Uh, How could never, that be never, right? never mispronounced. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, they, they, you know, the excess of the demons, the Nellstone Brotherhood, like kind of the the perfumed and just the, and so like a bunch of uh, you know weirdos start dancing in the streets on a parade through the center of Excelsis during the siege uh, on the way to City Hall. So I think that's like also happening in tandem. Yeah, and they like they like march through like all those civilians that aren't manning the wall, right? So like in doing so, they're like growing their numbers, like dri- driving everyone mad, and everyone again who isn't defending the city, um, sort of not unknown to like, but like, which enemy are you facing? Like, like the yeah. folks on the other side of the wall or those inside? There's just no one to stop them, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think the people that notice are like, what the what the hell is this? What? The yeah, heck? Well, yeah, demons all of a sudden. Yeah. Like ah, demons. Okay, 
let's zoom back in. I want to do the the entrance of like uh, you know up first you see a prow, then you see some giant black sails, and you see like massive black arcs. So this the scourge privateers have returned, and they're coming to liberate the city. And so they like kind of fly up on the darks. They start killing the orcs that had come on their flotillas. They start like bringing down the gargants. And do we know, did, is it revealed who else comes off the ship at this point or not quite yet? I think it is revealed right away. I, I don't so. remember. Yeah. And then also in a, in a, in a big, in a big boot with, in big boots and also a serpent tail, uh, <laughs> The uh, our favorite new god, uh, definitely our favorite new god of the series. I think so. Yeah. Is uh, Marathi Kane, the 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 twin souled god of murder, uh, comes off the boats here to yeah. save our savior. Well, how quickly? How quickly we turn? Um, our <laughs> yeah. Opinion changes of this guy. I also <laughs> want to mention that with There's the scourge privateers comes that Arika Zent that was mentioned mentioned before from the Callison Toll series. Um, so she's kicking butt. She's a, a B, a BA, uh, pirate character. Yeah. yeah and, uh, nothing ever bad happens when, uh, Marathi shows up in a city of Sigmar. Never. Perhaps. Not even once. No, I don't, I mean, I'm, depends who side you're on. Can't even imagine what bad things could happen. Uh, and I guess we should probably mention that at this point, the astral Templars who've been off fighting some orcs are like, Hey, Excelsis probably needs help and show back up and are like, whoa, what is going on here? And they gleefully join the battle because that's their deal. They, they like fighting. Yeah. They're, they're the beat. They're like the beast hunter chamber. Storm. Yep. Stormhouse. If, Storm if, there, if there's a, if there's a fight anchor, you can imagine that the astral Templar, Templars will, will find it eventually and, and try and join it. So they uh, give much needed aid to the city as well. Yeah, and they uh, they kill some mega gargants. I think they a bunch of paladins try to kill Gordrak, uh, and he like he kicks their ass uh, anyway. But I think they try to fight Kragnos too, and that does not go well. And furthermore, a bunch of stormcast try to fight a giant troll, and the troll like a dankhold like kills a bunch of. Stormcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> stormcast are not having a good day. They're, they're not they're not a great showing. Um, while this is going on, so again, this is the classic Warhammer story, right? It's the back and forth. No, then then these reinforcements show up, but then these reinforcements show up, and then these guys get the upper hand. It's at this point that Kragnos actually, he, he sets his sight on the gate. Um, it's one thing to destroy a wall. That's easy. Anybody can destroy a wall. I can destroy a wall. Um, <laughs> but it's not easy to break down this unbreakable gate, as we saw. The battering ram shattered into a million pieces, and so he rolls up on it. He rears up, if I remember, rears up on his hind legs, Sklablau, uh, that's the sound it made. Uh, he kicks it open with his, his front two hooves because uh, where a magic battering ram can't break open a gate, uh, the end of empires uh, certainly can. And he uh, blasts open um, Croak's uh, wards uh, as if they were nothing but kindling. And that um, was more of a sim- symbolic uh, gesture because honestly, he'd really just destroyed the wall moments ago. He didn't need, he didn't really need to do that, but he's, he's flexing on him a little bit. Yeah. At this point, everything kind of devolves. They talk, I mean, just sort of randomly about like all the different little uh, skirmishes that are happening in the streets, different fights between the orcs and the seraphon and the, uh, the demons and the stormcast and just, there's all kinds of fighting everywhere and Obviously, it's chaos. The whole city is just overrun by all these different forces. Um, I have to imagine there's basically no significant like lines drawn anymore. Like everything is just 
a swirl of melees everywhere. Wait, I, I want to say, I think before, slightly before this, when it looks a little bit worse, um, the the conclave of the Excelsis does uh, discuss like a plan, like Omega, which is oh, yeah. destroy the Spear of Malice. And of course they would have a plan for this because it's an incredibly potent magical artifact um, and they don't want it to fall in the hands of especially Chaos. Uh, I think they would be like, yeah, destruction, they're not going to know what to do with it. But like, uh, they'll probably just ruin it, which is what we, we want to do. But like, do we need to like, you know, set off the bombs or whatever kind of magical uh, kind of uh, device they need? And they, they, they don't they don't do it, um, but they do discuss it. And I think that that makes sense. And I'm, it it's fitting for the city where the uh, Knights Excelsior are from, because they are described, I believe, as having like, burned other cities to the ground and purged them because of chaos corrupt potential chaos corruption they're like we don't mess around um if there's even any chance of something falling to chaos we just level it so they would have a, a plan like that for destroying their own city i think but is it at some point that before they can even before they whether or not they choose to do so isn't isn't the, con- the conclave also or at least some part of it taken over by that slaneshi like procession or at least some members of the conclave yeah yeah i think but before that maybe um yeah yeah let's zoom in there we're at the the city's dark heart okay so you forgot you forgot there was this whole slaneshi subplot uh what's go how how does this what what happened so (laughs) while the the battle is raging all throughout the city um uh, for whatever reason the witch hunters and the white reaper um are going to get to the bottom of this Slanesh problem, regardless yeah. of what else is going on in the city, this is their main focus. This is the job that they have to do is this. And so they um, head into the, oh, I wrote it down, the Crystal Fall uh, region of the city yeah. uh, from, from whence the Slanesh power is, is coming and, and they're going to get strike at the heart of it. And so there they find in, in, you know, some dilapidated, but like once gorgeous, um, building they are able to find where all those mirrors and all those elves were sacrificed um deep in this sort of ritual um center where they can find a lot of uh citizens and maybe even important citizens some members of the conclave who are who are been i don't know mind controlled in some way right they're they've been driven mad by this slaneshi um cult that's sort of been fostering inside the city and so uh but then they also find the twins who are, um, I don't know, hanging out, lounging, doing whatever Slanesh people do, um, torturing people, being just weirdos, I guess. And so they, the the fight is joint. They they need to (laughs) fight each other to solve this Slanesh problem. That was a very inelegant way to say that. Um, and so it's a, it's a, there's a large scale battles outside. There's small scale battles here. Uh, the witch hunters are shooting magic bullets and like throwing, you know, swinging their magic swords, trying to, you know, fight off and free, um, the, the civilians, uh, locked in this, in this room, in this building. Well, uh, can I just add one, one cool detail I liked? Hit me. Um, so when they, when they started the fighting, the, the, the spell is broken on like the, the matriarch and her conclave of warriors. And this, the, this, like the special warrior crow, uh, uh, group has a, have like amber bone talismans that like, activate when they need a fight and they grow like bestial and then they, they, they join the battle. So I thought that was cool. Little kind of slightly different fighting force from the uh, cities of Sigmar. Well, and it, it's what, what do people who live in Gur, how are they different from other people? Like what, what sets them apart? Well, these folks have magic ambulance that turn them into, you know, 
beast fighters, um, which is really cool. Um, I, I believe, uh, so it's basically the wish hunters win. Um, they're able to try to think how the first guy goes down. Cause the second one, um, this, I don't know. I don't know the difference between the voice and the talent, but, uh, one of them, uh, basically is locked in like a mortal embrace, like a deadly embrace with the white reaper. And, uh, they kill the white reaper, but he erupts into lightning and thus killing one of the twins um, at the same time. So they both like disappear in a, a cloud of lightning, which is kind of cool. And then the other, I think the first one just gets shot by like a magic bullet inscribed with like Azurian runes. And I might be making that up. No, that that's what happens. Uh, it was one of the crossbow bolts, I think from Duralia. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it had like Sigmar's name on it or something. And messed up the talon uh burst into a part into a thousand butterflies and was gone it's not all it's not all guts and gore with these people sometimes it's just beautiful butterflies yeah a little anticlimactic but yeah nice (laughs) what's anticlimactic about butterflies phil the most (laughs) climactic yeah so uh the witch hunters come out on top i mean i suppose they lost the white reaper but there's no reason to think that he isn't going to get reforged because we're not in shaman so like he, he heads back to his year for some guess. much much needed R&R. So, I mean, this is literally a Slanesh's newborn, the big thing that like we've been interested in in the past, I don't know, like six months or so. Uh, killed by two two humans in a Stormcast and I guess a bunch of other. We can talk more about <laughs> yeah, the, the significance of this as we get okay, to Okay, we, uh, resol- we resolved the B plot. Yeah, yeah, B plot done. Let's go back to that. Go back to that A plot. Uh, All right. Tell me uh, about it. So where were we? Uh, chaos in the Streets. However, the arrival of Marathi Kane and the uh, and the daughters of Kane, along with their scourge privateer allies, has really like uh, uh, turned the tide of the battle because uh, mm-hmm. nobody can really stand up to a god but another god. And so we start to have like a god showdown. And I don't have a play by play for this one because I think it's even shorter uh, between Marathi and Kragnos. But Marathi can't take Kragnos. Uh, he kind of like beats back snake Marathi and like the magic doesn't work because of his awesome shield. Um, yeah. And then, then what happens? Yeah. So, so I mean, so the, the shadow serpent version of Marathi is like wrapped all around Kragnos, sort of like Hercules style fighting the Hydra. He's, it seems like he's wrapped up, going to be stuck, but he strangles the serpent to death and when he was strangling the snake, she could feel it. Like it says something like her yeah, yeah, yeah. person form could feel the, the hand on her throat, sort of thing. Right. I don't. I don't think he kills the snake one. I think they're just like struggling, and she knows she's losing. Mm, okay. And you're right. It was very short interaction, but basically, yes, Tuskbreaker is makes him completely immune to magic. He's deflecting her blood magic. Croak is around. And is also like throwing down meteors on him. And again, they're just bouncing off because he has his shield, which makes him immune to magic. And everybody should have realized a while ago that magic doesn't work on this guy. But And Croak of all people should know that because he's already well, fought him once. Yeah, but maybe, maybe that was so long ago that he just happened to forget. Forget stuff? No, I know, I know. He remembers stuff from before they came to uh, the mortal realms. So, yeah, no, he should have remembered. Uh, there was a bit of a, a silly plot point where it's like, what are you doing, Croak? Um, well, Croak's goal isn't to defeat Kragnos here. I think he knows he can't defeat him. He's trying to buy time while they... Yeah. 
I mean, so uh, yes, he they don't. Do like, oh, he's like, oh, I got to go into melee with him to, to take out Kragnos. But they <laughs> they don't really reference that at all in this interaction, though. Like, eventually, it gets to the point where Marathi just has the call out to Croak. It is like, hey, we can't beat this guy. We should, you know, what you can't what you can't defeat, you should redirect. And he's like, you know what? You're right. Let's let's trick this guy. Like, I didn't think of that. which makes me wonder like was he really actually like i don't know did the writers forget that they were supposed to be like going through with a different seraphon plot point and they just forgot about it or did croak forget (laughs) like but either way something maybe croak was just like hey we're gonna try to take this guy down if i can't do it i'm just gonna teleport out of here and then we're gonna go to plan b i I mean it's better to save the city if i can that maybe makes more sense. And, uh, and also, Croak doesn't maybe doesn't have the quite the same guile that Marathi does. Like they combine spells here, right? Where where Croak opens up a portal through space and time, and then Marathi gives an illusion. Illusion, uh, yeah. And it's like what is it? It's like dragon eggs. Uh, he yeah. hears like the roar of his old mortal enemy, and it distracts him, and he's like. Hey, I'm more mad at them than I am at all of you. I got to go deal with that first, <laughs> but this isn't over. Wait, I'll be back. Where did this portal come from? Like, oh yeah, see you guys later. I'm definitely going through this portal. I'll be. I'm gonna finish up here later. <laughs> he leaves. He jumps through the portal, <laughs> and it was a trick. It, it, it. I almost got the impression. I almost got the impression he knew. Like he didn't know. But he kind of like I don't know. It, it, it's he didn't I'm know so it like, was a trick, but I but he uh, yeah he knew it was a portal. I think like I think he recognized that it's it's not like like it's a portal from Croak, but because it's a portal to the thing that he hates the most in like the whole universe. You think like, he would hate Croak the most in the whole universe? He locked him up. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you would oh. think that he would hate Croak the most, but for some reason, they say that no, he he cares he more about. Dragon. I mean, the dragons didn't really do anything to him besides they like, were friends. Kill some of his buddies, but yeah, like, yeah I mean, to be but, like, fair, he was the aggressor. Yeah, he started it. <laughs> yeah, but the lizardmen he didn't start it with, but they still trapped him under a mountain for you know ten million years. Yeah, it's like trying to understand an earthquake's motivations. You're not going to be yeah, he's he a force of nature. He, yeah. he works ways out of there through the portal, and uh, the portal ends up being not to any sort of dragons uh, or draken. I think it, I think it, it pops him at a dread. I think in a it, no, maybe in this story he pops him at a dread fort. It is at a dread fort, yeah, along some mountain range, like way far away. Um, and when he gets there, I think it's it says something about him just like realizing he'd been tricked or whatever. Oh, I got tricked again. Being, being super, super mad and like letting out this huge bellow of rage. And do you think he could get, he's more mad. I feel like he's always at a 10. I think his, I think he does go to 11. Uh, and then he decides that, well, I guess since I'm here, I'll destroy this place too. And then he goes and crushes a dread fort. Okay. Do we want to, I think, okay. So that's the end. Uh, we have a little epilogue that I want. That I definitely want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we got uh, a few of them. That's part of the book. But let's. Uh, is Kragnos dumb? I think it's time to take the. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we can do it now. Uh, yeah, absolutely, he's dumb. He's dumb as hell. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I wish he had l- less characterization. I wish he was more force of nature. But like they do, like give him thoughts, and 
feelings and then you're just like what <laughs> it, it makes it it makes it worse like yeah the, the yeah more personhood you give him yeah because he d- he behaves like uh like a, something without free will almost um in that like you just like divert the river and right. uh but, like you know in a way that's like what i don't know maybe if he yeah it was yeah him jumping through that portal was like oh, okay i mean they make it sound like he is just entirely like his whole being is directed by his rages and whatever whatever he is currently mad at that's the thing that he's gonna go smash but he was currently mad at marathi kane and lord croak but and then like and then he sees like a portal and he's like hmm like what would i rather smash and he's like oh like i'm about to smash you which i imagine is the best part is like actually the smashing um, and he's like, no, I'll delay gratification on this smash and like pri- reprioritize my smashing here. Because I'll be right back. There's this. I can see this is a portal and I can see there's dragons in here. That's all on the up and up. Of course. Why would I doubt that? That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that makes all perfect sense. Yeah, I think this is my first time in the moral realms, but I'll be right back. You guys stay right here. Don't he's like, oh, and then he gets through and he's like, oh, man. <laughs> the, the I got smash- tricked again by the same frog. The smashing's always greener on the other side. Uh, yeah, I've always, I've always said. Um, let's stop talking about Kragnos real quick. Let's do let's do the epilogues and then we can. People have asked questions about this. Oh, stuff, sure. so oh, okay. I want to do the listener yeah. questions. Um, rain it so, back in. Yeah, let's rain it back in. So there are four epilogues, basically about each of the Broken Realms book. About the the the. the, the I keep saying the word titular which is ridiculous um and uh i can't i can't stop um well let's do them in order then so the first one's about bellicor and so um the scene that is set is actually that is of the twins kicking it in the realm of slanesh in one of the the rings of his you know pleasure realm or whatever it's called yep. uh where they are they're loving it they haven't been here before right they got rocketed out of uh, oh, yeah. slanesh's belly uh and they were hanging out in olgu for a hot second and so like they've never stepped foot uh, in uh, what a such a, an excessive pleasurable uh, location and so they're they're really digging it furthermore the throne's empty slanesh ain't here and so like they they're kind of looking side-eyed at like well what does that mean like who's in charge maybe it's us um but the the fun is broken when bellicor arrives in a very taunting and very aggressive antagonistic tone like man why do you step into you've never even met these dudes before what's your deal uh but he essentially is taunting them uh, claiming like look, look look how easily defeated you were and they throw right back at him look how easily defeated you were like both of us all of us were defeated by mortals how ridiculous is that um and they each let slip a little bit of tidbit a little bit of information that i think um points to future information in that um the twins were proud of the fact that they were able to drive a wedge between the elves uh and the humans of excelsis I want to talk about that in a second. Uh, and Bellicor is uh, gloating a about how he how his shadow that is that the the sky cover that he's using to prevent the stormcast from reforging is is growing. The shadow is going to expand. Um, and and furthermore, he points out the fact that the only reason he lost is because a dwarven a dwarven god showed up, which we are now going to assume is is Grunkney because he's presumably the only dwarven god that's worth mentioning at this point. Um, so that's kind of cool. You guys want to talk about that? What are your thoughts? 
Um, I like, I appreciate that the Dexessa and the Senessa um, were ki- are kind of characterized as children a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that like makes sense for how like kind of shitty their plan was and like their results. Like they're, they were, they're newborn, you know, they don't, they don't really have the guile to pull off like a big, a big, big heist yet. And they kind of like, you know, just corrupted, tried to corrupt a small city and like sit on the throne, but they didn't really have like a full plan after that. Like in what, in what world was that going to work? They didn't have like the forces or the right amount of corruption to like really like make something happen. Um, and like, I think Bellacore knows that. And I hope we see like a cool kind of, I don't know, mentorship between those demons. Um, I think that like make like the, I, I think, I think we're going to see more of a, like a slow progression of these characters over time. And this is just kind of like their first foray while they like, you know, learn. And it's interesting to think of like a demon learning and growing, but I hope that's where these get, these, this gets taken. It would be cool. We were kind of goofing on how easily they were taken out before, but I guess I hadn't considered the fact that they're children. And that actually, babies. yeah, that makes a lot, babies. makes a lot more sense. Um, babies, babies first uh, city crop. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember, my, I remember my first one. <laughs> like it was yesterday. Uh, I I do I do agree. Like they were defeated very easily, and so it does make it feel very anticlimactic. I even said literally, I think, and it was very anticlimactic. Uh, but I do also think that there's like a more subtle uh, thing that they are sort of alluding to here, and it's that Slanesh has been able to corrupt devotion to Sigmar. Um. And like turn it from a good thing where it's like being a devoted of Sigmar and like being all for like following Sigmar's will is always a good thing. And saying like, hey, even devotion to Sigmar can be taken too far and can be in service to Slanesh. And I think that that actually sets up fairly well now that we know a little more about what's coming in 3.0 with the uh, crusades um and the Dawnbringers, and it's like could this then be another thread to say that like slanesh is going to be able to turn their zealotry like against them um and i would like to see more of that because that'd be very interesting because sigmar and like the people who follow him it's always like yes everything you do uh in the service of sigmar is always a good thing because it's for sigmar but uh, maybe not. And I think, Aaron, you wanted to say something about the elves and the wedge driven between them. How did you know? I can't remember if I said it before. I like that we each had, we, we all took different things away from this and that it seemed too specific a point for it to not be important maybe later is the fact that they were proud of their the wedge that they were able to mm-hmm. bring between the elves and the humans. Like, it, it makes for a fine story or a plot device for this particular story. But the fact, the way they brought attention to it makes me think that maybe that is a sign of where the story might go in the future. Um, with what we know about 3.0, I think the, the word on the street is that grand alliances are kind of going away as a concept, which always seemed a little restrictive to me in, in the first place. And so if we can see sort of a, um, a cordoning off of, of some of the races in order, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, not that I want to see it, but at least it, it could make for some interesting stories 
um, going forward. And like the way that like the Deepkin were joining up with Marathi, even though they didn't super like it, and like how there she was bringing sort of all the classic Dark Elf factions like sort of under her her sway, like maybe there will be groupings of elves and we'll see them sort of align in similar uh, arrangements as we used to in sort of that old Warhammer fantasy. I don't know if it, I don't know if it ends up good or bad, but I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that there, there are opportunities for interesting stories to be told sort of in that, in that space. Feels like it also furthers the conflict with the Harkuron slash Anvil guard stuff that's going on as well. So it's like, Hey, it's not just that city anymore. Now we also have people in Excelsis that are mad at elves. Um, so maybe that'll become like a, a fissure point uh, in order, but and and maybe the fact that like it, the, that Marathi was sort of part of this um, this order Grand Alliance never I don't think it ever sat well with anybody and you can explain it away like order doesn't mean that they're all friends and order means that you know they're just not chaos and destroy I mean the fact that they they strive towards order whatever that order might be maybe this is a, a nod towards really highlighting the fact that like they aren't they, they aren't friends like this let's yeah. let's drive this wedge wider um to really draw that distinction uh for mm-hmm. people um and that doesn't even say anything about grungni, grungni which is also interesting in this little <laughs> story the fact that like it, it's very uh clearly identified that it was a god who was uh, interfering with bellicor's plans yeah yeah answer that question once and for all yeah i Did hope we, I don't, I don't know if people are going to accept that it's actually answered once and for all, but I think it is. Yeah. And what yeah, we, I, confirm, I confirm it. Yeah. We've had a, yeah. The, the same dwarf from previous, from Broken Realms Bellicor, from the dwarf in the uh, White Dwarf articles. I didn't read any of those. I need to get back to They're them. good. They're are good. They I really like them. I, I think they're written by uh, David Geimer. David Geimer. Yeah. Friend of, friend of the show, David Geimer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My, my guess was was White Dwarf, but I, I'm I'm happy to be wrong. Before we read this, my guess was White Dwarf. Start. All right. Uh, next one is the Teclas story. Anybody want to talk about this one? So this one's a more of an interlude. Uh, so Teclas is hanging out, uh, astral projecting his body, uh, kind of into space, and he talks about his interesting. He talks about his his want to kind of run away and to like be by himself, uh, kind of Teclas alone time. Uh, and even to like put himself at the bottom of the sea and become completely numb, kind of like um, the the Eidneth. Uh, so it's interesting to see uh, Teclas exhibiting characteristics of his kind of his his rejected children. Um, but uh, he he starts. He goes up to the north. They uh, he starts to talk with the Moon Spirit, uh, his buddy, and um, they kind of talk about how the world is changing, whether Teclas did the right thing, smashing Nagash to kind of force the cycle to turn because that's kind of the that kicks off um Alariel's, uh spirit song and the, the the events of this book um and so whether this is right or wrong and, and teclas is kind of like hey i think you know uh, destruction on the rise is better than nagash uh nagash on the rise like that that was a greater enemy and that that war is almost done um like it's easy to redirect the orcs uh as and and other forces of Georgia, as shown by the the events of this book, uh, they're pretty. You know, um, <laughs> once he says like that war is all but over, Nagash shows up and is like the war is not over. Uh, <laughs> I'm still here. I you know I'm you know I'm still Nagash talking in all caps. Um, and and it's like didn't I just beat your butt? And he's like, oh yeah, well only one time. 
Uh, but, you know, everything dies. You will die, Teclas, and I will kill you and all of your family. <laughs> um, and and, and Teclas is like, I don't, I don't need to, like, outrun you. I can just, like, you know, slap you back again. And, um, and he was like, I, you know, you, you will die by my hand. You see, you uh, son of a bee. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and then Teclas is like, you have no power over me. Uh, but then the text says, like, oh, his voice um, uh, uh, betrays him a bit. And Nagash is like, you know that's not true. And, like, Nagash kind of cackles away. And it's another reference to uh, Teclas being cursed by Nagash by defeating him. Um, so we don't know how that's going to play out. But it is ominous. And it does. It is nice to see Teclas, like, show some, like, guilt or fear about, like, what has, how has Nagash marked him? Because it seems to, he seems to have done it. Uh, one additional sentence I'll throw in there after he says, you know, that's not true. He says, my vengeance has already begun. So is that the mark or is there something else like or what has begun? Like, what is the, I mean, it has to be something. Well, I guess it doesn't. Nagash could just be. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I, it, it might be something, but Nagash is always like running his mouth, you know? Yeah. Nagash's plans take a while. So, you know, it's probably like, yeah, I started my new, my next plan. And then, you know, 2000 years later, finally, uh, <laughs> that comes to fruition. But, uh, you know, he's got nothing but time. Yeah. I, I think they'll pull on this Nagash v. Teclas thread. I think they will too. I don't, I don't know how, and I think it's a it's a cool matchup for sure. Like the it's you know the nerds. Uh, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Reading this story, I didn't know what they were talking about when he was talking to the moon and the whole "you have exchanged one bane for another." Is it wisdom to wake the giant? I literally just read the Kragnos book and I didn't know that the giant was was Kragnos until you explained <laughs> what was going on. Because I, did, I, didn't, I didn't draw the connection between what Teclas did and Kragnos. But yeah. there, if you draw the line, yeah. So Teclas beat Nagash, which let Ilariel do her thing, which then freed Kragnos. So yes, okay, it was his fault that this happened. Um, I, I, maybe as a special episode one time, I really want to do, and I'm sure this already exists somewhere, but like uh like uh, war age of sigmar like power rankings uh like, <laughs> what, what, like the different power you know how they do that for comic books and stuff, like different seems, power levels because yeah. there, there does seems to be like a, a very reasonable hierarchy where like really tough heroes uh always get beaten up by like demigod level heroes and then the gods are definitely a step up above them and kind of like you know like kragnos beats up gordrak uh, and I like, and you know, and like to all of like the realm gods and then like maybe above them are the chaos gods. I don't know, but I would like to like, cool. like break it down. Like Bellacor is not as tough as Grungy. Um, even though you might think he like, you know, you don't go by the model. Uh, you go by like, are, are you like, are you a god? Like in the flow chart? No. Like, okay, well. <laughs> and you can also like fish out all the examples of when someone beats someone. So you can use those as baselines. You'd be like, well, I know yeah, so-and-so yeah, is better yeah. than this guy because he beat We him. should have a spreadsheet with some kind of numeric like formula yeah. that uh, calculates there. It would be ideal. Well, we have to have another holiday episode sometime. So, what if you there know. are no more holidays? Yeah. We did. Oh, I don't have to okay. All right. Fine. You're not in charge of me, Phil. Um, did, you, did you have any techless thoughts, Phil, besides it being your least favorite? Mm, I mean, it's, I don't know. I guess the only thing that I will say, it has nothing to do with the story, but just that uh, I, I like that the characterizations of Nagash and his all caps is two very different things when Pavin described what he was hearing. And when, when I read it, uh, cause when I was thinking about it, my thought was like, so Nagash is sort of like, like he's, he's absorbed all this power that when he speaks, it's like the embodiment of death is talking. And so it's like, 
they're, we're going to write this in all caps because it's just so like forceful. <laughs> and then for Paven, it's just like he's just this angry nerd and he's just like <laughs> screaming at everybody. Uh, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I like that a little yeah. bit more than uh, the way that I heard him in my head. But yeah. uh, you didn't beat me. I beat you. <laughs> No one beats death. I'll get you next time. <laughs> uh, he, yeah. he talks that way to the Mortarks too, which is great. Like, <laughs> trying to do stuff and Nagash is like, uh, Next one, Kragnos's uh, little little story. Um, who wants to talk about this one? Not even about Kragnos. Well, I mean, it's about him, but it, like, it has nothing to do with him, actually. Uh, I guess I, I started so I can I can give the quick synopsis here. But basically, um, we we drop in with this. Uh, I guess we're not really told what Bograts is, but we we can sort of infer that he must be some sort of orc. Um, and he's a lookout out in the swamp, and he's got a uh, what does he call it? Uh, it's a spyglass, but he calls it something, and I thought it was funny. His seeing stick. Yeah, his seeing stick. Um, and so he's just hanging out, and he's peering off in the horizon, and 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 so he sees the dread the dread spine fortress, and he sees this gigantic guy just wrecking everything, and huge dust cloud, um, and and so he comes down from the tree. And this other orc asks him, like, what's so funny? Uh, and and he, like, points to this cave painting or a tree carving, maybe, uh, of a giant centaur. And he's like, it's him. And, it's the beast. <laughs> yeah, it's the beast. And so we now know, because hindsight being twenty twenty, we now know that these are the cruel boys. And they're like, hey, it's this guy that we worship. Let's go. Let's go check that out. Um, but that, I mean, it, it's it's somewhat inconsequential, but it's a nice little tie in to uh, uh, introduce us to the cruel boys without actually having been told that it was the cruel boys. Yeah, it's a it's I'm a little it's a little sad that um, how quickly after this book we got like the 3.0 reveal. And I think like we, we, I don't know if we knew cruel boys, but we knew swamp orcs and we maybe had seen a model like when I was reading this book. So like, I can imagine a world where we're just tantalized by this, by this paragraph here, like trying to figure out like what the heck these are. Um, but like, it was such a quick turnaround. We didn't get that, 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 yeah. that period of specul- speculation. Just, just think how juicy this would have been. Had you not known, like that would have been, yeah, we would have another hour of podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> what could it be? It's the beast. Um, right on. I, I still think it was well done. Like it, it was a good. Yeah, it, it was idea good to do so. Yeah, it, it was well written too. I, I mean, it's a minor little story, but it was good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it also tells you like what Kragnos is doing, which is like being tricked and being mad and yeah. smashing a dread fort. He this smashes a, everything. This is very much like a Marvel movie. Um, uh, post credit or like mid credit scene, right? Like where it cuts the, the credits roll and then it cuts and then you see this little scene. And you, yeah, uh, and then uh, Samuel L. Jackson comes in and says, "I'm putting together a team." Um, and then the last one is about Morathi, who is now, I, I guess, "quote unquote" standing trial for her actions in yeah. um, Harkiron. Um, 
So she rolls up to the like the Grand Conclave of Excelsis. Like most of the seats are empty currently, but there's a couple of folks here who are basically standing, you know, as judges to um, her trial. Most notably is probably the the um, Celestin Prime, who's got Galmaraz. Sigmar isn't here, notably, but uh, this is the Prime is standing in uh, for him. Um, there's a back and forth where she base is not defending herself because she's a goddess now, so she has no need to defend herself to the likes of this Celestin Prime. Uh, but it sounds like they're still going to try and pass judgment on her. Um, but before they do, uh, in, st- in the classic... Uh, objection um in steps uh, a dwarf or a dwarden uh who 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 interjects and says no the 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 verdict ought to be clemency uh, one of the other dwardens there exhales he says oh, it's the great maker because of course this this interrupter is grogny um and he uh <laughs> he says uh, none other said the dwarven god right enough bickering you lot we've got work to do what a what a great closing scene. Um, I don't even like Dwarden all that much, but like it's kind of cool to have a god roll up and uh, he's been absent for. I mean, not as absent as Grimnir is, but like still relatively absent to the, well, the to the scene. I mean, Grimnir, yeah. Grimnir's got a bit of an excuse though, being dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It feels it. It, it, the problem is, is, like, you're not rooting for both sides. Oh, at least I'm not rooting for both. Like, Morathi's guilty as hell. Like, yeah. she's yeah. city. Like, you, you were hoping she would get some uh, some justice here. And uh, Grungy's like, yeah. Like, we're putting together a team. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was like, oh. Grungy is Sam Jackson. Yeah. I are, wish- you on a, are you on a first name basis with Samuel L. Jackson? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I, I'm glad we have confirmation. It's, it's grungy. Um, yeah, I hope. I hope something. Yeah, what do you think? What do you guys think is going to happen with the door? Is like is is I guess. Well, I I, I, I want to hear wild speculation soon. But uh, anything else about this story? Uh, I'll say that I agree with you that Marathi needs to have some sort of ramifications, and so for Grungy to come in and save her, or you know, advocate for clemency he better have a good reason and they better tell me what that reason is. I, I hope to God, this isn't the last we hear of this particular interaction. Yeah. And I hope it's not, I hope it's not just, Oh, we need all the help we can get. No, that's not, it's not enough. You gotta, you gotta give me like a, a, a justified lore reason. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I want actions to have consequences. Yeah. And this is like a dodge of a consequence. And I'm like, no, like I want it to matter. I want it to matter. Like I want things that happen to really to matter. Like, you know, and I, uh, if I, I yeah, if I had to guess, Sigmar, so I guess, A, it's important to know the Sigmar's not there, which we already did, but like, so he's obviously busy. Grugni has been this whole time in Azir, in Azerheim, helping Sigmar. So he probably was sent as well by Sigmar. So my guess is that Sigmar has some plan where he's like, no, as much as I hate, like as much as I'm mad at Marathi, I'm not mad enough that I'm going to punish her right now as I need her for something. And so like the punishment is probably coming, but not yet. Yeah, that's the way I read it, too, is that um, like Sigmar is strategically like uh, pardoning her, not overtly but because like hey it's still an order city and like you know i have other cities and i just like i can't uh, offend an ally you know because everybody else is so much worse 
Um, and that's why he like, but he doesn't want to like send a signal that he's pardoning her. Uh, that's why he sent the Celestin Prime and then probably sent Grungi also to like, you know, to dissolve the, the, the trial. But I, yeah, sorry, Aaron, I cut you off. I no, 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 I don't think you did. Uh, my only thought is you mentioned, all right, he needs, he needs her for something. I hope he does need her for a, a specific thing. Not enough to say, all right, well, I just need all the help I can get. Like for it to be worthwhile to me, I, I need to know that Sigmar has a specific purpose for why, why, why he needs to keep her around. I, I almost wonder, because we're, we're basically out of factions at this point that need to be introduced into Age of Sigmar. And I have to think, that Morathi is going to be needed to try and pull the forces of Ulgu into the greater conflict. Because we need Malarian and the, you know, I mean, obviously there's a <laughs> direct tie between Morathi and Malarian. So my guess, my hope and my guess is that that is what he needs her for is he needs that connection to Ulgu to be able to be like, so we need Malarian to have some skin in the game again. Because if he's just going to hang out in the shadow world, like we can't have a god on the sidelines anymore. Um, that's my guess. Yeah. I, yeah, I wish we got more Sigmar plan. Maybe we'll get this in the new edition with Stormcast. But like, what, I want to, I want to, like, you know, I want to hear more about like what is Sigmar? Is, like, because Sigmar was originally trying to repair the Pantheon at the, the opening of the gates. I wonder on like where he where he feels like that project has gotten him because it certainly didn't work with Nagash. But Alariel, um, and like is you know they're they're good, they're good friends now. She made the she she made some cities and like they're they're you know you can take them as allies and Teclas. I think Teclas you know Teclas there's there's good there's strong there's strong ties there. Well, but think about what happened after Forbidden Power though, right? With the Storm Vaults, like they're actually on the they had a, they had a combo and they didn't end things. Well. No, yeah. I don't know, like Settler's Gain is kind of a Sigmar, Teclas. Yeah, but he doesn't, I don't think Teclas blames, he doesn't look unfavorably on Settler's Gain because of what Sigmar did. I think he just looks unfavorably on Sigmar specifically. He's not holding the mortals responsible for the thing that the god did. Yeah, I I guess everybody's still, everybody, yeah, you're you're right. Everybody's still doing their own thing. Like nobody is coordinating with each other. Like Teclas is playing his own game. Uh, the Ever Queen's playing their, her own game. Um, Rathi's certainly playing her own game. Uh, I think like Grungi and, and Sigmar are the only people that like seem to like coordinate. Yeah, that's what I would say. That, and I think that the only reason that Grungi is working with him is because Grungi's people kind of said, "We don't want you anymore," and so <laughs> Sigmar was like. I need well, like, you, Grogni. <laughs> the other way. I mean, it's not exactly the other way around, but he almost said that to that. I mean, not that he didn't. Well, I mean, it, it feels like it's mutual, right? Like they didn't, they felt like he abandoned them. And then he's like, but I'm your God. Like you're supposed to believe in me regardless. And yeah, it depends how much we consider the dispossessed, like what kind of people those are. Because like, I think dwarves worship. <laughs> like, I, mean, I mean like the news the like the first sigmar factions like the fire slayers are all a, gr- a grimnir like fanatics so those have always been all grimnir all the time yep. the carriage on overlords i re- reject all gods uh, including especially grungi so he you know th- that's true but i think the dispossessed are still like run in the mill duarden who you know they still worship grungi and you know he's like he's like a well like you see him around town <laughs> you, have the, you, have the, you have the six smiths or nine smiths six smiths this is, and, and yeah. those are like demigod dwarf smiths mm-hmm. yeah 
yeah and like yeah and those those guys are you could well, also hang out with them yes i don't know I, I, it is a little like gray and like it's yeah. not clearly spelled out and i think it, some of it was I, 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 they haven't told us exactly how those things fit together and i'm very interested in seeing what happens I, yeah Maybe hopefully we hear more in 3.0 yeah, well, actually, I'll tell you what, we'll use that as a good segue into one of the questions. So uh, Sever, um, our friend Will here in town, um, asked a question. He's, he he uh, wants to know, which of the epilogue story teases are you most looking forward to GW expanding upon? So we've, I think we've all talked about different things that we'd, we're, we'd like to see coming forward. Which which of these stories are you most jazzed to see uh, fleshed out? Well, I, I have to, I mean, I, I think it has, at least for me, it has to be the one with Marathi. I, I mean, I want to know what happens to Marathi and I want to know what happens to the dwarves and like what's up with the Celestine Prime being sent instead of Sigmar since he's going to be judging a god. Like, wouldn't it have made sense that Sigmar would be there himself? Um, Is he Sigmar? <laughs> it's, it's been it's Sigmar all along. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Phil. I think... My most favorite, like my, I'm, we're most, I'm, I'm very interested in, in the cities of Sigmar, like faction because it's like the least defined and it's so it's so like inherently complex because of the model ranges it has to combine. Um, I'm I want them to explore how like all of those things fit together. Like how do the cities work together? What is the relationship to uh, Marathi, the, the Stormcast, Grungi, uh, the dwarves, the elves? Like what does that society look like and function and how does that move forward? Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, yeah. And I think we're going to get a whole bunch of it in 3.3.0, like with the Dawnbringer Crusades. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm most excited for Guys, man, I'm going to give you a lame answer, and that I the Marathi one is, is I think chock full of the most interesting threads, and so it's definitely the the most uh, interesting one. Um, I, when first reading it, didn't even note the fact that the Celestin Prime took Sigmar's place. I just thought maybe just story wise, the the writers are just trying to not have Sigmar be so present all the time, and like the Celestin Prime is the like his the voice of Sigmar. He's going to take the stand in for him all the time, and I didn't think that anything was up there, um, but. I think you guys have maybe hinted that it, it's it maybe interesting that the fact that he's doing that. And then also we were asked by Darth Alec, he asked a question, um, what is it, or what is this about the prime acting as Sigmar stand in? And so I've started to think about it and you know what, maybe there is a story there. Like I, we haven't seen Sigmar hit the realms in a while and the prime has sort of taken his place. We know the prime got re, um, reforged a while back, uh, in, um, forbidden power. He got, he got dusted by, uh, Olinder. Um, so, like, you know what? Maybe there are stories to be told or information to be discovered about the Celestin Prime. And um, I'm interested to see wh- where that goes, in addition to the whole Marathi thing and the Dwarven thing. And, yeah, all of these are all very interesting and they packed it into this small story. Uh, to answer Darth Alice's question, what is this about the Prime acting as Sigmar stand in? Is there anything else to add there? Have we covered that? I don't think so. A lot. Yeah. I mean, it's just the one sentence. There's not a whole lot else to expound upon. Gotcha, gotcha. What if what, what uh, I'll, I'll 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 actually thought what if Sigmar is missing? When's, when's the last time anybody saw Sigmar? When he I talked mean, to Teclas at the end of Forbidden Forbidden Power, I think they had a little combo. Like, does Gardas ever talk to him in Bellicor or no? No. I feel like Pops I don't. We'll talk to a yeah. Stormcast every once in a while. I, I, I don't think, think I don't think he leaves Azir anymore, and I don't know why that is, but. 
he can do like God stuff where he like presents. Yeah, he can talk to people out of the realm, but like physically, he has not left Azir or Azurheim. As far as I remember, he hasn't left since he closed the gates. Um, which maybe is just because he's so embarrassed about throwing Galmaraz. He's just like, man, I can't face anybody <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's not like he's never been there because obviously he spent a lot of time, like historically, it's just yeah. recently. Yeah, that's interesting. Everybody remembers him having that big old goof, and he's just like, nah, that's nah, too embarrassing. Yeah, it, it is interesting how they write Sigmar as like kind of a little bit unknowable, um, but then we're like always interacting with other gods, like on his tier. Uh, where they're just like we just like have their point of view characters. Yeah. Um, where they're like, are, like yeah, are they on his level though? I mean, I think it. I mean, he's like he's like Zeus to their Ares. You know, they're like yeah, same tier. But we'll leave the tier list to our special Patreon only tier list episode, and instead I'll ask you guys: Do you have any other points of interest you want to talk about before I ask more listener questions? We got let's let's just get into these questions. We've been going for a while now. Yeah, let's so. do it. All right. Um, so we've had a couple questions about uh, Craig knows the character uh, sort of looking forward. Um, Kugelfang52 asks, okay, in fact, I want to ask all these questions and we'll lump them together. Uh, Kugelfang52 asks, uh, what do you see as Kragnos' new role going forward? How will he, how will he interact with others? Uh, Magnus, who's a patron of the show, thank you very much, asks, do you think Kragnos brings enough power and authority as destruction deity to become the de facto sovereign of Gur for the foreseeable future? And he also asked, uh, what ways do each of you think Kragnos could influence the realms in a way that is narratively interesting. So a bunch of ways to phrase what's Kragnos going to be doing in the future. What's his role? What's his place? Um, where do you, th- where do you think he's going or where do you hope he's going? Yeah, I think, I think I really, I like the idea of introducing Kragnos. I think he's more interesting than like creating a, a Gorka model. Um, Although maybe that would have been really cool, like a double, like a it's like double-headed giant orc. I mean, maybe that would, maybe, uh, yeah. But I, I, li- I like they took it in a new direction, gave us something new and very Age of Sigmar. Uh, I kind of want them to like. I would like his character to develop somewhat into being uh, more than a living earthquake, uh, because he's not it's, a living earthquake. Isn't actually that interesting as a character, um, and I, he he's actually more interesting as an earthquake than he is as a a weird character making dumb choices. Um, so I hope like he just woke up after being like time locked for, you know, a million years. And so he can develop. And I wonder if he like maybe learned something in Excelsis, like don't get tricked. Uh, <laughs> Stay away from portals. Like, don't get nah. tricked again. Nobody tricks Kragnos three times. <laughs> uh, fool um, me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Won't get fooled again. <laughs> don't, you don't fool me twice. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I would like, yeah. I think Kragnos is really cool, and he's like really powerful, obviously, and that's cool. And he's a a destruction character that like crosses all, that unites the different destruction factions, which I think is again, I like it. Uh, but yeah, I wish he would develop as a character. Yeah. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I uh, generally agree with that. I do. I mean, I understand all the like, man, he's such a dumb character, and like literally like he's not he's not making intelligent choices he's not thinking anything through um and i feel like that's it fits how they wrote his backstory like his whole thing like i just i feel like he's consistent at least like even if people don't like it at least he's consistent 
Um, I do think it's what Pete Kragnos looks like. I, yeah, pretty much. Um, and so I, I do think that it maybe means that people might be disappointed with this character. He's like the embodiment of the destruction faction where like Greenskins just want to beat stuff up and ogres just want to eat stuff. And like, it's not complicated. Like, we know what destruction is all about and it can be summed up in just a couple sentences and that's Kragnos's character, but all in one person. Yeah. I would like Kragnos. I, I think I, yeah, I'm on record. I want Kragnos to get a little bit more clever or I want him to get dumber. Yeah. <laughs> or a lot. You know, like, get us into like giant troll territory. And then I'm like, Oh, what a, what a lovable oaf. But right now he's in such a weird, like just yeah. spiteful fool place that, uh, you know, yeah, like make him make him like out of control incredible hulk where like you know that there's like there is a mind in there but when the rage takes over just get out of the way like there's nothing you can do uh n- there's no reasoning with him there's no like logic anymore it's just he is destruction incarnate and if you aren't if you're not going to get out of the way you're going to get stomped um and that's yeah. probably if he was just in a blind rage and jumped through the portal, that would have been better. But he like stopped. It took a second. I know. I thought about it. Is this a trick? <laughs> like, no, it's not a trick. We don't know where we don't know where that portal came from either. Yeah. They said, they, they said, "Don't go through that portal. Don't you do it? <laughs> you won't do it. You won't do it. I, I'm, I'm I dare you. I triple dog dare you. Uh, I heard you. I heard you were afraid of dragons." <sighs> <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry i like Ragnos. i think he's i think he's great the way he is um but like yeah but sure we just want him to be different we i don't even want him to be different but like if they were going to like want to expand on him more yeah i i would agree i if you want to make him like into more of a character you need to do something with him but i think he's probably just going to be like this terror in the realm of gur that has to be dealt with and that's going to be the whole thing with like indrasta and there's probably going to be a whole story around her hunting him all across Gur because I don't know if any of you guys have looked at the stuff that came in the Dominion box about her yet, but uh, it basically says that like her goal in life or her whatever you consider a Stormcast's life, considering they are reforged over and over forever, is that she wants to be the one to kill Kragnos. I, I got bad news for you. You're not you're not on the same level on our power <laughs> Sigmar character power ranking. Yeah. She is shockingly powerful though for what she is on the tabletop. But uh I digress. Um so yeah, I don't know. Like he's he's what he is. Aaron, do you have any other thoughts? I do. Unfortunately, I do. Um, two, <laughs> two things I wanted to get out. Um, so let's let's see. One, uh, we're talking about predictions of how they're going to use them. You guys are talking about how they potentially either you like them the way it is or, or you want to see some character development. We're not going to get character development on a GW on this guy. He's going to be a plot device whenever they need a big brute to break something, and that'll be the end of it. Like they Track record has shown that they have no intention of developing this guy in any particular direction. Um and which I think is a bummer because if he's just going to be the guy who wants to fight, you know, to, to prove that he's the strongest, we already had an army of that. Like we have a whole grand alliance of that. We didn't need this dude to do that. We had plenty of options for that already. And now maybe you needed to be a god character, I guess. But like, I think later on maybe we'll talk about this. But what what doesn't a super powerful orc accomplish that that, that, that this guy does? He was a he was a cool model. 
very cool model. I love the model. The model's great. Very interesting. They, they made them and they said, crap, what do we do with them? And so they made up this yeah. story for them that like supersedes the stuff that they already had available to them. It, it, it seems like they left a lot uh, missed opportunities with the available yeah. tools they had it in their disposal. I, I, I think I might have said this before, but I, your, your comments may remind me of it. I w- all would be forgiven if Kragnos is used as character development for Gordrak. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Gordrak learns like you can't just smash. Like sometimes you need to bash. Yeah. Um, and, like, <laughs> there, there's the lesson. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, the bash is shard," uh, and then like he like he like learns to be cunning, um, and I think that would be and like it, juxtaposing those two characters in a sure. way where they don't fit the same spot. I think you know I'd really you know I'm a big Gordrak. I like Gordrak's real cool, so I like him a lot. Um, yeah, but they're not they're not gonna do. They don't have the you know, nuance available to them to. Why? Why? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe not. But I, that, I agree with you. That would be awesome. But like it, it's it's you you took a motif that we already had and you just you slapped a different body on it which yeah had, they're I mean, like oh necessary these two years of build-up for gordrak well here's kragnos have fun it was like yeah, well, wait I, a minute <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it's not just like oh we, we this is gordrak too uh you know more handsome uh but like yeah yeah well, we'll see we'll see sure 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 i have my hopes that we you know we have i our, reality my cynical view is that they wanted to have a model that they could use as a god level figure for all destruction rather than trying to introduce god level figures for each of the individual factions in destruction and so they're like we need to come up with something that's completely outside all the ranges here's a centaur god i think that that uh, that level of analysis is correct i think it's less fun narratively oh of course it's less fun narrative that's why i said that's my cynical view like take it completely out of the lore and fun and say it was a business age of sigmar is a documentary and the events happened in real time if they were going to do that why wouldn't they pick something that had themes from like their destruction army why would they pick something so different i mean nagash is a skeleton dude he's like his people like he's like his dudes like his his army he's like a ghost skeleton Skeleton hybrid guy. Anyways, uh, let's Phil ask Kelly questions. in here and you ask him those questions. I'm afraid of Phil Kelly. The hard hitting um, journalism that everyone wants. Uh, another question <laughs> that's kind of related um, from Lichcast, who's also a patron of the show. Uh, and he asked, does uh, Broken Realms Kragnos outline or hint at any deeper reason for the narrative focus on Gur for the new edition? I think they just needed to pick a realm and this is the one they picked. What do you guys think? I, I think they wanted to focus on destruction and they're like, what's a, what, what is a better realm to focus on destruction than Gur? And then they made it all work. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the logical thread of the, um, life, uh, ritual that, um, the ever queen enacts affecting Gur most savagely. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I think I, I don't think Age of Sigmar 3.0 is only going to take place in Gur. I think the opening, the where the the the, the first act is going to take place in Gur with the 3.0 box and release. I think we'll see it go to other realms as well. You know, they they have this whole playground mm-hmm. plan. I don't think they, you know, even in Age of Sigmar one, they played in three realms mainly. It wasn't just Akshi; it was Shaman and Gyran as well, and Which- Drubit. Would you claim that Age of Sigmar 2 was only Shyish, or, or do you consider that no. multi-realms as well? Yeah. No. I mean, I think, it, like, yeah, I think, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, 
yeah, I hope it's similar to the, to the way they did too. Like, try to focus initially, but like, yeah, it obviously the realms are uh, interconnected, and I don't have another word for interconnected. Uh, so let's do another set of questions. The folks really wanted to talk about beasts of chaos, and by that I mean two people wanted to talk about beasts of chaos. But uh, Gray Heresy uh, wants to know why isn't Kragnos part of beasts of chaos? And then Kugelfang fifty two again asked. Uh, There's a lot of overlap between destruction and certain aspects and factions of chaos. Uh, like the Untamed Beast and Beast of Chaos. Uh, how does this book delineate the difference, and do you buy it? Well, I feel like, yes, the themes, like the aesthetic themes definitely are there because he's a centaur. And like all of the old mythical beasts from like Greek mythology basically ended up in Beasts of Chaos. Um. So in some ways, it's almost an unfortunate choice for them to go centaur because like they made that direct thread aesthetically and then they're like, but he's destruction. Just don't worry about it, piece of chaos players. Um, now, of course, I, I do wonder if maybe the beasts of chaos at one point were just like, for lack of a better term, monsters in like a realm like Gur. Uh, and then were corrupted by chaos. Um, and so I guess this is something we were talking about uh, before we started recording, but so Kragnos's father is Gorgos, and Gorgos sounds a little bit like Gorgon, and the Gorgons are the big like cow monsters in Beasts of Chaos. So maybe like there is some thread that you could draw there, and then like somewhere between pre-age of myth and the modern period they like these monsters that are descendants of the drug or whoever ended up being chaos spawn and corrupted as to like the human factions from gur that are also part of chaos like that's fairly easy to explain because there's human factions in every realm that are turned to chaos because humans are easily swayed to chaos um I want to slip in a, a hashtag Phil theories in there real quick for uh, yeah. I, I thought we were we were getting a really uh, Pepe Silvia moment there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like Beast of Chaos. Like, you don't have like you not you don't have like a monopoly on on four legged torsoed creatures. Like, like we have the Kronathi have a, a centaur. Um, the uh, the old Chaos Dwarves have centaur guys. Um, Vangorian lords have those. The Vangorian lords are now sent. Like it's just, it's just like a, a, a fantasy shape. Um, that uh, yeah. And I think the the difference I, for me, like the way the Sigmar, the Age of Sigmar factions break upon the Grand Alliance is like a is mostly theological. It's like who do you who do you worship? Um, and if you worship like uh, gods from a hell dimension then it's chaos. Then you're chaos. Regardless, <laughs> regardless of what race you are or what you look like, like goat man, snake woman, uh, just regular person, if you, you you worship the dark powers from the realm of chaos, that you become Grand Alliance chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you worship like something weird, uh, but also like the, you still like, but it, like uh, everybody likes to beat stuff up. Like that is not a distinguishing characteristic really. Um uh, but if you like worship, like, you know, if you're uh, some sort of primordial deity that is 
still within the mortal realms, then you're probably, then you could be destruction. Like if you worship like some weird moon or Gorkamorka or something Gorkamorka sat on once. (laughs) Yeah. Something he bit and spit back out. Yeah. And then you can go down the list with Nagash being like, if you worship like a a Nagash, then it's Nagash. And if it's, you know, some reasonable God from the pantheon of order, then your order. Um, (laughs) If you worship some other death God, Nagash will find him, eat him, and then you will worship Nagash. (laughs) um i think i kind of like that the grand alliance is growing away if that's if that ends up being true i guess i haven't seen it with my own eyes but i think that might be the case um and i think that we've reached the point where there are now so many factions that you're gonna there's gonna be so many incredibly like overlap like a million instances of overlapped themes that there will never be an example of a a purely unique faction that there's going to be crossover all left and right and that's just the nature of the beasts of chaos yes um (laughs) <laughs> name the game at this point um how about some uh let's talk about some of the other characters or some of the characters again in this book uh sever uh will ask which character in kragnos got underserved the most and i feel like that's related to darth alex's question uh what was the point of kragnos's character uh in the narrative of the book wait no we already, we already kind of talked about this uh in the narrative of the book would anything really change if it was just gordrak touched on this do you have any parting thoughts on how much better gordrak is than kragnos i think we all agree gordrak is better than Kragnos. <laughs> or or do you do you think there's any other underserved characters maybe we'll start there let's start there i feel like gordrak's too like this is this is damning but gordrak's too smart for the portal trick <laughs> yeah absolutely is i think gordrak's more committed to the fight like it's it's not even necessarily that he's smarter he's just like no I'm I'm smashing and bashing. I'm not going over in some portal. I'm gonna keep hitting you. Like either I need to be knocked down to the point where I'm not getting back up, or you need to be knocked down to the point where you're get not getting back up. Like nobody's just gonna walk out of here without finishing this fight. Unless of course he's fighting Kragnos. Hey, I forgot. Do you remember Gordrak's character or plot line where he wanted to fight Sigmar? Yeah. Thank he's you. like, I want to fight the hammer god. Like he's the only guy that will make that, that that's worth fighting anymore. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have quite. I don't know. I don't know if it quite. We could switch them right around and it'd be the exact same story. Yeah, we, I think we've maybe maybe <laughs> we, I've belabored this comparison uh, to death. Sure. Do you guys yeah. think that there are any other underserved characters? I would have also said the twins, but I think we we you've now convinced me why they are the way they are. Yeah, I would like Alariel to get. Yeah, I don't know more. Uh, I don't know, like, like more. Like she's like a like playing around the periphery, but like you know, I would like, I don't know, some more thought. It was a surprisingly quick blurb for what like considering the large ramifications of the thing that she did. Like if if, yeah. she's gonna have, if there's going to be this new life resurgence, it was kind of a small window into like how that happened. It would be like if the necroquake got two pages. Yeah. We'd be like, wait a minute, wait, whoa, what? <laughs> we need to talk about this. And maybe it won't be as important, and so maybe I'm overstating it, but if it is important, I would have thought that she would have gotten more attention for it. I don't know. It feels pretty important. I mean, you're calling back to the old world, and I feel like you don't do that just for giggles. Uh, yeah, it would It would be cool to see uh, the Everqueen become a like Nagash-style uh like bad guy or at least like hey i'm doing my own thing and like you know now vines are ripping out of the ground and like you know sucking down farmers and stuff 
Um, so she like also splits out from the Pantheon in a way that like, oh, I'm taking my own territory now, like living city. That's mine now. Um, yeah. And, and, and that could, that could have been more interesting than, I don't know. Yeah. What, what, I don't, yeah, I hope they pick up the thread though. I think, I think they almost have to, right. I mean, like there has to be more to the story with Hilarial. I think I mentioned it before. I, I do want them to pick up the thread for the Draconis eggs. Like the Seraphon made a deal to say that they're going to take the last eggs of this dragon race and keep them safe. And then like, besides that one sentence, there's nothing else mentioned about it. Um, that feels like a big deal. If there could be a new race of dragons inside the temple ships flying around and we don't know about it. Um, but that feels like a very tiny plot point that they are probably not going to touch again, or at least not for a long time. Um, I'm going to ask one more real question and then one silly question. Another Darth Alec question. He asked, uh, with three of the big cities knocked out, what does the future of Cities of Sigmar look like for you? Do you guys any, have any hot takes? Well, I think they're good. Those, those cities all have are going to, if they don't have rules, they're going to get more rules. Uh, they're not knocked. They purposefully didn't destroy them so they can use, they can keep them in the IP. Because um, they, you know, spend a lot of effort building the cities and like giving them a cool yeah. backstory. I hope we get more. I really hope we get an Olfin card in City of City of Sigmar. Um, sorry, that's I've been painting a lot of Cursed City. Uh, <laughs> I guess you like, remind uh, us. Yeah, yeah I, I think like that's a really I want. Yeah, I want cities in all realms. I want like tons and tons. That would be cool, and there's a lot of great opportunity for expansion, right? Like you can, it, it's I, what I imagine is easy thing to make that like is a lot of like unique flavor if you just keep making new ones. Yeah. Um, well, I do think, I think from the short story that we had about Marathi and Malarian talking in her, wherever it was in uh, Harkuron, I think we're going to definitely get more about what's going on there because it sounds like the citizens of Harkuron are not happy about their current situation and there is quite a bit of internal strife in the city. So I imagine we're going to be revisiting that, um, assuming that they weren't all just put down, which I'm guessing they're not all dead, but maybe they are. Um, I mean, I, I think it's fairly obvious that Excelsis is probably going to be sort of the starting point of the story for 3.0 because we know that it's starting in Gur and pushing back out. Um, as to what's going to happen in Cayman, I have no idea. That place is messed up right now. <laughs> Don't miss it. We may never know. Can't get in. Can't get out. Uh, cool. And then a final question from Space Ninja 422. Would you rather be a cruel boy, uh, Iron Jaw, or a Bone Splitter Orc? Hmm. Deep, deep question. It says a lot about a person. I'll, I'll start because I thought about this. I wrote it down. I wrote the question in here, so I had time to, to think. Uh, assuming you're a capable or good version of each of these orc, I would probably be an Iron Jaw. I mean, not with the way I am currently, but like if I were a specimen Iron Jaw, I'd feel like I'd rather do that. I feel like the least likely to, I don't know, I guess you'd always have to fight. I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's the strongest of the bunch. Be a lot of smashing and bashing. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I think you, I think I top agree. Of, they top are of the food chain kind of is, is yeah, where I'd say they are probably the strongest. I have to imagine bone splitters have the most fun. Mm, um, 
they're just out there on their crazy wah hunts and stuff. And like with the weird docs telling them what to do and like chasing the spirits of the world beast. And I don't know, they, they seem like they would just have a good time. I think regardless, I, I know, I don't necessarily know between those two, which one I would choose, but I know I wouldn't want to be a cruel boy because they just don't, I mean, you know, live in a swamp and like, you know, they're, and they they're seem, smarter, but you got to worry about getting like stabbed with poison all the time. Yeah. And they seem very evil. Whereas the other orcs are just like, we want to wreck stuff. Paven, what do you think? I'm with you. Yeah. I think bone split is having the most fun. Uh, you guys, bone um, all right. just want to have fun. <laughs> I was going to think, but I don't want to owe anybody a dollar. All right. So <laughs> questions are over. Uh, I didn't say it at the beginning, but hey, dear listener, if you want to get a question on the Mortal Realms show, what you have to do is you have to join our Discord at www.themortalrealms.com slash Discord. And you have to hang in there all day, every day, just waiting for me to ask if you have any questions for our episode. That's the only way. There's no other trick. There's no other uh, special secret. It's just complete devotion um, to our Discord. So uh, let's wrap this up with our final thoughts and review. What did you guys think of this book? First come, first serve. Whoever starts talking first gets it. I liked it. I liked all of the Broken Realms. Uh, I don't think this was my favorite book in the series, but I did really enjoy it. Had fun twists and turns and good fights. Um, yeah. Nice. Right on. I also very much enjoyed this book. I think I probably liked it more than most people just because I didn't have a big problem with Kragnos and the way that he acted, but I was also just happy to read about Croak doing his stuff. Um, uh, I guess in retrospect though, this probably wasn't my favorite Broken Realms book. I think when I have like immediately finished it, I was like, this was great. I liked it the best. Thinking about it more, I think actually Bellacor was probably my favorite. Uh, but maybe Marathi. I don't know. It's definitely not techless. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably a tie between Bellacor and Marathi. Uh, they were both very good, I thought. Right on. Uh, what did I think of this book? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it was probably my least favorite Broken Realms book. I feel like for each of them, I've always had like a couple of problems with them that I was able to look past. And because I always thought that like they were leading to something like bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, but then we got to this book and it I probably disliked it more than those other ones. And maybe I was even more let down because I expected so much more out of the culmination of the Broken Realm series. And <laughs> it's a shame that it was the worst out of them and not the best out of them. Um, a lot of it, I think, stems from like Kragnos, probably. Like the Kragnos parts, I, I didn't find the most interesting. And I, I mean, I like to structure armies. I have Iron Jaws. Like I'm, I can dig them. Um, it just seemed... I don't know. Like they didn't know what to do with them. Like this was, they were scrambling and they couldn't come up with a good idea. And so they needed to create a whole, whole book for him to try, try and make him interesting. And I don't know that they necessarily uh, succeeded, which is a shame because he's a really cool model. And I feel like there is potential for cool stories to be told for him. I just don't know that I've seen one yet. Um, yeah. I got me wondering what my favorite broken realms book is. I think it was Marathi because it seemed like it has the most potential. Like it, when you first read Marathi, it seems so realm shaking. And now after three, now four of these broken realms book, like the realm shaking, which is fun because he's an earthquake God, uh, has lost a little bit of it, its luster. And like, it, you need more than like, I don't know, shock value for me. Um, and I don't know that I got much more out of this book besides the epilogue parts. I feel like uh, the best part of the, the whole uh, campaign book was the shorts at the end, which um, I, I very much enjoyed. Um, so that was pretty neat. And 
as always, they do a really good job of hooking you and making you wonder what's going to come next. Like I, they, they didn't do a, a bad job on that front in that I am excited to see for what's, what's on its way, what we can expect to see in 3.0's lore. So as always, I'm looking forward. Never satisfied now. Always want what's next. Um, any other thoughts, my friends, before we end the show? Mal, good night. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for our reforging, but Sigmar willing, we'll be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us in Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. And Phil, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I am in our Discord fairly frequently so that's probably where you're gonna find me nice and find you they shall paven where can they find you on the internet Order on discord sometimes and uh and i'm aaron you can find me on twitter at dos asos and also on the mortal realms discord you can find all our mortal realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com Everqueen Ariel has a is a lot a, of like a Lariel actually when we <laughs> um no but when we did the techless episode people were giving us a hard time for calling her Ariel and not a Lariel that that sounds oh, much man. more correct yeah oh man <laughs> pronunciation matters okay <laughs> yeah. I apologize to the listeners I apologize to my family everyone on the <laughs> Zoom call.